You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room where we talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 117. We'll be discussing Marvel Studios' 19th entry into the MCU, the culmination of 10 years of cohesive storytelling, Avengers Infinity War. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And joining us this week due to Sanjay's absence, a great friend of the show, the Tumbling Saber podcast, we got Kyle here. Hey guys, what's going on? Ah, man, I'll tell you what's going on. (laughs) My heart is thumping in anticipation of discussing this movie with you three. You too. Sanjay, sorry, you're not here. (laughs) Turned to dust. Yes, gone. (laughs) What we're going to say here at the top before we get going, we're going to do a quick five-minute or so high-level spoiler-free discussion, and then we're going straight into spoilers. I'm saying this now at the top because I don't want anyone complaining that we've given away this movie because we're going to spoil the hell out of this thing because... We need to talk about every little nuance of this film, or at least we're going to try to. But one thing I want to get out of the way quickly here is, Kyle, the, the everyone listening heard our opinions last week going into Avengers Infinity War. I got to get a bit of feeling at how you were feeling going into this, because you and I talked back all the way in episode 96 when this first trailer dropped. You sat in here in the nerd room, and we kind of broke that trailer down. How has your thoughts evolved since then since seeing the film going into it how were you feeling kind of this in this big build-up this culmination film this big event style viewing so the great thing for all these marvel flicks for me is that i'm not quite as engaged in at to the level that you guys are for me it's it's <laughs> i love these movies to death don't get me wrong i've seen i've caught up guys i've seen them all now like nice. I remember last time You're we there. spoke i was i was well way behind <laughs> i've got them all down now nice done including infinity war but I'm not so engaged in that I hang on every single detail. Oh, that's so me. So <laughs> when we 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 spoke, we spoke on in, in episode 96, like you said, and from that point forward, you know, I'd watch TV spots, I'd watch the other trailers, and I'd of course listen to you guys and geek out. But in my mind, I was of course I I was very excited, but I was never like, I'm gonna die if I don't see this like right now, right now. I I. I it, put this movie in front of my face right now. It, it never gets to that point for me. So even up until the week of release, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to see the movie. I really wanted to, but I was looking at my schedule for the weekend going, man, I don't know if I'm going to see this. And then we got the, uh, Thanos de- demands your silence yes. note and hashtag. I said, Oh man, like they're really, there's, some, there's big stuff happening in this movie. I got to go out and see this. So I spoke with my wife and I, we kind of rejigged our, our weekend schedule and I was able to squeeze it in Sunday afternoon. I, at a certain point, I think it probably happened around Thursday where I was just like, that's it. I, I cannot, I, I can't justify not seeing this movie. I have to go. Yeah. I remember listening to you boys on Sith of Servers this past Friday and you're saying, oh, we might not get to see it until this weekend coming. And I was yeah. thinking to myself, oh my God, Kyle, like, how are you going to, how are you going to avoid the spoilers? Because like you said, going into this, there was so much of that anticipation and the Thanos demands your silence hashtag put out by Marvel Studios. 
there's big things in here from the premiere. We knew there was big things and it kind of exceeded my expectations as to what they were trying to keep the lid on. And I'm, I'm so happy that you got were able to go out and see it and you could sit here with us and walk through this movie bit by bit. And, you know, I'm going to have a hard time not gushing over this thing because I can tell you just at a high level, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think the best comic book movie of all time. I put that stake in the ground about two minutes after I left the theaters First on time, Twitter. second time. First time. Yeah. I, I just said, I said, this is it. This yeah. is how I feel about this film on first viewing. It was the most satisfied I've ever felt coming out of a theater. And that includes after watching several Star Wars films in theaters, kind of The Force Awakens especially, getting oh, yeah. back into Star Wars. But I walked out incredibly satisfied with what I saw. Everything I wanted to see, everything I wanted to feel was by far exceeded. Like, were you guys feeling the same way when you walked out of the theaters after seeing this film? Yeah, I was completely blown away, man. Um, I will go with saying, I think it's the best comic book film. I won't say it's my favorite, but I'll say it's the best. It executed yeah. everything so well. Um, it just brought all those characters to life. Uh, you and I were talking about every battle scene was like a splash page yeah. of any comic book you could imagine. Just seeing Spidey, Doctor Strange, and Iron Man interact with each other all in a sequence of fighting and the action. Unreal, man. The Russo brothers, Kevin Feige, those guys are incredible. Yeah. 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 Kyle, what are you saying? What do you say when he walked out of the theater after seeing this for the first time? I was staggered, man. Like, my, my, I was a little bit Bambi-legged. Like, I just could not believe what these guys had pulled off. Like, to get that number of superheroes on the screen and to do what they did in letting each one of them shine and not letting any one hero dominate. Like, they could easily make it a Captain America movie or an Iron Man movie or a Thor movie, but that never happens. You just get good doses, good honest doses of every single character in that film. And I just walked out going, wow, like, that is a masterclass on how to do a part one of something. Just exactly. to leave you hanging and just, oh, oh they just, it, it just hit every single note. There were moments in the film where you're, you're trembling. You do not know what's coming. And then it happens and you are winded. But then they start hit. They play with the, uh, the humor element and you're laughing and crying at the same time. You just, they made you feel everything in this, in this film. Yeah. It was, it was a roller coaster of emotions. I think that's the only way to put this. You're up, you're down. I'm on the edge of my seat yep. for the most of the film here. And one thing that blew me away that winded me, like you said there, Kyle, is the risks they took. Yeah. They had a lot of free reign to do and tell a story that mattered. It wasn't about putting CGI just a mess on screen. It was about telling the right story from a different perspective. Now we're going to get into that different perspective, but they took a real risk not having one individual hero or at least a core group of heroes really take the lead on this. You know, I walked into this expecting it to be a Captain America film. We're coming with the Russos and with the writers, uh, Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus, they have written and contributed to Cap's story in its entirety in the MCU. And I was expecting the audience to use Captain America's perspective again. But that's not what we get in this film. They took a huge risk on telling this from a different perspective. And that and that really paid off for me. That's what makes this movie feel less like a big event movie and something that's a bit more in its core, a very personal story on an individual character that to me really hit home. So those risks really paid off. And I'm really happy to sit here and say that 
I've watched all 18 of those films. We've discussed most of them here on the podcast. We've done almost everything you can do in anticipation of this film. And there was still big payoff. They rewarded the fandom for sticking around for 10 years. And I can really appreciate that. Like that makes me feel really good inside to think that, yeah, I've invested hundreds of hours of my personal time to this and to get something that pays off like this. Wow. Like I just got to say like shout out to Russo brothers, the, the writers, the whole production crew, everything, Kevin Feige. It's, it's unbelievable what they accomplished here. Oh yeah, just that cinematic experience coming together, this universe that they built, and you know, coming back to Kevin Feige, man, this plan that he's had all the way back from 2008, and the way they've executed it in these films, like we've mentioned, I think going off of what Winter Soldier, it, there hasn't been been a bad film, no. and they've listened to the fans. We've gotten great villains ever since. Um, we've gotten Hell Out, we've gotten Vulture, we've gotten Killmonger, we've got Thanos. You know, for a while now, I think when Sony was announcing they wanted to do like a Sinister Six film, and everybody was like, "That's weird," and then DC tried doing the villain film with the Suicide Squad. It hasn't really turned out great, but this is how they did it. They actually put you in Thanos' shoes, his perspective, and you're on this journey with him the whole time. It's a Thanos rising story yes. this whole time. And um, it's really his film because we've had 10 years of everybody else having their own films. You know, Thor, Cap, Iron Man has had three of their own. So it made sense to just give you a Thanos movie. Yeah. And they pulled it off so well. And that's what it was. It yeah. was a Thanos movie. Yep. And I was not expecting no. that. <laughs> all right, not well, at all. I'm going to put here the spoiler tag. Because we're, we're going to jump into spoilers. We've kind of given our high levels review. We all really loved it. If you haven't seen it, please stop. Go see it and then come back because you're really doing yourself a disservice not going and seeing this film. Like It, it appears that everyone saw it based on the box office, yeah. <laughs> which we will get into. But spoiler warning, this is the last time we're going to throw that tag up. But we're going to jump into the film itself here. We're going to go through a bit of the development, talk a bit about the MCU timeline, the box office, and then we're going to jump and really dig into the narrative, the plot, the arcs of individual characters, the pairings, and Thanos' perspective. Cool. But so this movie really kicked off or was first teased in 2012, really, with the end of Avengers, when we got our first appearance of Thanos, kind of that turn, that smile. That that was the kickoff of all of this. Because in the Iron Man movies preceding that, we really didn't see Infinity Stones, but that was about building the universe. 2012's Avengers was about starting this Thanos arc. This arc that we see come to a semi-conclusion here in this film itself. And when we look at a, a first proper tease, I don't know if you guys remember, but they did that. Remember they did that big, I think it was at the El Capitan Theater. They did that big reveal of the slate. And then they finally announced Infinity War Part 1, Part 2. Oh, in California there, right? In, uh, yeah. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was in 2014. That was the first trailer we got for this film. Yes. Believe it or not, in 2014. They kind of compiled everything about the Infinity Stones, ran through it. If you go to YouTube and search Infinity War trailer from 2014, there's the shaky cam version of it. But it's still one of my favorite trailers of all time because of the crowd reaction. This is the first time people were seeing Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. Now, subsequently, that's that part one, part two has been removed. Right. But at the end of the day, when we get through this film, it's still part one, part two, as far as I'm concerned, maybe just two somewhat separate stories, Yeah. but overall one big narrative. So going back and then looking at the 18 films that build into this, you know, we've got several trilogies. We've told stories like civil war, Ragnarok, some of the big, big stories in the comic books. And then the infinity stones, again, they've appeared in at least 10 separate films. If you include, 
the after post credit scenes. Yeah. So this again is another huge arc. We've got 18 films and in about ha- over half of them, we've got the big MacGuffins for this film being seated as well as them being the individual MacGuffins for those films. So to me, stepping back and looking at the vision of all this, it's incredible. I know we've already mentioned it about how Marvel set this universe up from the get-go, but just going back and seeing how much effort they put into this this one film and building to this one film is absolutely incredible. Now, going back and kind of looking at Avengers all the way through to this film, do you guys feel the same way that they that they really seeded this properly? Did you get that going into the film? Because one of the big questions I got, and one of the, some of the and Kyle, you posted this on Twitter earlier today, is some of the reviews are you know this movie just kind of takes off. Do you guys feel that they put the effort in? And kind of taught us how to watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and earned that respect and earned that just jumping straight into a story? Or do you feel that maybe they needed a little more? I, I, I think they've done it perfectly well. Like Marvel knows who their audience is. And of course, you never want to forget the casual moviegoer. But Marvel knows who they're talking to. And that's guys like us. And that's everybody who loves this kind of thing. They know that if you're going to be building towards an event... You know, like as a moviegoer into these kind of things, you know where to start and how to follow along. Now, maybe you won't get to all 19 movies before Infinity War, but you will follow along. You'll get the gist. You you won't go in blind. So exactly. the, the, what you're talking about, that that reviewer who said, oh, there's, there was no character development yeah. in these movies. Suddenly there was all these people and no explanation as to where they come from. No kidding, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> like know, know the audience, know the genre. So maybe it's atypical from a you know, classical film critic, uh, critique standpoint to do it the way they've done it. But Marvel knows who they're speaking to. I have absolutely no problem with this 10-year long game that we've sat through. Frankly, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how they had the patience yes. to let this play out as long as it did. Because you really any, – any company just wants to go grab that cash now. Like I, I, if, if it was me in charge, I probably would have tried to do it in half the time. Yeah, Thanos and Avengers too. That's something that could have happened. <laughs> yeah, very easily. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm super impressed with the vision, the long term vision, playing the long game, and waiting for the big payoff. Yeah. No. I mean, Marvel laid out the blueprint, right? They uh, they've changed the game. We've seen guys like a DC. Not to throw shade at them, but we've seen DC. We've seen uh, Universal with the Dark Universe. They've all tried to speed Sony? up to with Marvel. Sony. They all tried doing the same thing, but. Kevin Feige, again, knows exactly what they're doing here. And it's no different than putting out comic books as a whole. They know their audience. Word of mouth spreads. We've turned Black Panther, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy into household names. We've had character development through all 10 years of these of this of this movie making business. And um it just it's been paying off. And everyone's along everybody is along this ride to watch these movies. It's just it just makes sense. Yeah. And one thing that I think everyone has to remember is that you can't watch Avengers 1, 2, 3. No. Really, the, the movie you need to watch before going to this is Thor Ragnarok. So Avengers Infinity War is a, a proper sequel to Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And it's a proper sequel to uh, Captain America Civil War. So it, you can't think about them being isolated trilogies or isolated franchises anymore. It's a one big conglomerate, one big franchise. And each movie that comes out after another, except for the next two, sequentially are the, movie that, are, are the sequels to that movie. So I think that's one thing that we all have to remember is that you can't get away anymore in this universe. I don't think people want that. 
because we we've been begging for this cohesive universe you know everyone rushed out and saw thor rushed out and saw guardians and again rushed out and saw infinity war because they had a connection to these characters and not going back and trying to reintroduce everyone makes for a very economic story it allows us to focus in on characters like Doctor Strange had a big part in this. Thanos, the, the Black Order, you know, they, they allowed other characters to shine because they didn't have to go back and say, you remember Doctor Strange can do this. You remember Captain America and Iron Man had a big falling out. We can, we have to flash back and tell all this story. <clears throat> they, they do away with all that. Yep. And that really benefits this movie. It's two and a half hours long. It's a big movie, but you couldn't do this if you're trying to build characters or remind people where everyone was and what everyone was doing. Yep. So yeah, kudos to Marvel for just... <laughs> taking the plunge, ignoring any sort of critique of or necessity to go and remind everyone what's going on. People get it. Clearly people get it. Exactly. They've trained us how to watch films. And the big guys that have been doing this, the big guys have been doing the training outside of Feige is really the Russo brothers. Now, the directors that prior to Captain America Civil War didn't have a huge repertoire of big budget films, but coming off the back end of Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, these guys got Infinity War and Avengers 4. I think these guys are the right people to be telling these stories. They've proven with Captain America's Winter Soldier, sorry, that they knew how to tell a different type of story within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Civil War, they proved that they could do the ensemble film. Now let's throw them into the deep end here and have them do Infinity War incredible choice and incredible consistency within marvel to keep these guys going and and even the both of them to continue to not get that exhaustion that we saw in age of ultron from joss whedon like these guys keep pushing and pushing and pushing the limit was set with avengers it was kind of matched with ultron it was far exceeded with civil war with infinity war you know, again, huge applause to the directors. And I give a shout out to the writers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They did all three Cap films, Infinity War, Avengers 4, and they also did Thor The Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's this continuity in storytelling that, that's really key here. And I think having this core group of people be the consistency amongst the writing, amongst the directing, really, really helps this movie elevate itself. It's a difficult feat, really, to take multiple franchises when you're looking at black panther to guardians to captain america iron man and kind of mash those together and ensure that the characters themselves feel the same that they did in ragnarok in guardians and black panther that's that's a really difficult thing to do and if you look at the executive producer credits you've got james gunn on there Mm -hmm. john favreau so again guys that have really a heavy hand in developing individual parts of this universe also contributing to this film so i think overall what they've done is they've been able to pull together a core group of people and tell a really good story but they've always remembered about the continuity and consistency in that storytelling and again i have to i have to give a big props to them because the box office like it speaks for itself it speaks volumes for this film we threw out our predictions last week you know we all said over 247 million yeah. the force awakens did but could have anyone guessed that it was going to open to $258 million, the largest opening domestic gross of all time, as well as $640 million globally, the largest worldwide opening of all time? Now, Kyle, like, Kyle did, you, did you see this coming? Did you really think this was going to top The Force Awakens opening weekend domestically? I hate to play Monday morning quarterback, but I did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it would, I didn't, I didn't think it would be an easy feat. 
mean, that's a big bar, but I, I think more and more, like when you really step back and look at the way records are made and then broken, they happen at breakneck pace. You know, I, you know, I fully expect that this record will be broken again next year by Infinity War 2. Yeah. And then it might be broken again later that year with Episode 9. Mm-hmm. Like, these records are just made to fall now. And fa- it's it's almost treated like a game in fans. Like, can we get out there? Can we break this record? It, you know, it, I, I, I'm not shocked at all when these records fall anymore. No, and like, as this was counting through the weekend, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay... We're getting there. And then they announced 250. That was kind of the estimate. Yeah. And then it came out 258. And I, I'm amazed that it got there. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. Last week, I did predict that it was going to go over The Force Awakens. And so did you, Troy. Yeah. But was I 100% confident that was going to happen? No, because yeah. that's a huge feat. We're talking about you know that, that big absence, that 50, 10, 15-year absence from Star Wars mm-hmm. that people ran back into for The Force Awakens. This is kind of the opposite. We've got 10 years of filmmaking that built into this. So it's a completely different approach from a fandom perspective about kind of the absence versus the volume. But I'm I'm ecstatic. And I don't know why I have this weird connection to box office numbers, but I'm ecstatic that it beat that. And did you see earlier Star Wars posted from Kathleen Kennedy or Lucasfilm yeah. from Kathleen Kennedy, the kind of the handing of the baton yeah. over the congratulating from Star Wars to... Uh, the Avengers Infinity That's War right. for the biggest opening weekend. We saw this a couple of years ago yeah. with the Avengers handing off to Jurassic World and That's Jurassic right. World handing off to The Force Awakens. So this is a cool tradition. Cool. It actually goes back to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Okay. Started this with Jaws and E.T. and Star Wars. Cool. Yeah, I did cool. a little research on it. So it's, it's really cool to see the, the studios kind of acknowledging, tipping the hat. Hey, okay. It's one company. Well, you know, it's even Deadpool, even Deadpool did as well. Yeah. They even congratulated him. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that letter yeah. that he put out. Yeah, yeah it's that was awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to put a few things into perspective here for you guys. This two hundred fifty-eight million dollar opening weekend. Now, again, not throwing shade, but in three days, Avengers: Infinity War outgrossed Justice League's entire domestic run of two hundred twenty-nine million dollars. <laughs> that's got to hurt. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> and globally, it's $110 million more as far as this worldwide opening than The Fate of the Furious, which previously held the record for biggest opening weekend. Right. And this is without China. That's really scary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because it's May 11th. I think it opens in China. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a ridiculous it's, performance. I mean, this is like Gretzky in the 80s type performances. It truly Sorry, is. Sorry, Calgary guys. <laughs> <laughs> No, it it truly is. And you look at the studio in itself, Marvel Studios, they've put out two back-to-back films that have debuted to over $200 million. And you look at the all-time openings, Disney, you look at the top 10, Disney, then their conglomerate, hold nine of the top 10 opening weekends of all time. And they're all MCU or Star Wars films with the exception of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's... I I find this box office stuff absolutely just fascinating. And like you go back, guys, let, let's not forget here, guys. Disney is ruining both of these franchises. We're not going to go down this path, but anyone who thinks that, come on, come on. <laughs> Look just, at the quality we're getting. Yeah. <laughs> but a couple more fun facts here. So this movie opened twice as large as Iron Man two, Thor three, and Spider Man. Wow. And it's the third MCU movie to debut over two hundred million dollars. <laughs> It's something else. This franchise is is incredible. And what was the budget? Because they had to shoot both films back to back. I think it's like a three hundred fifty mil for this one. Yeah, it's a, they're talking about if including marketing, a yeah. billion dollar budget for both. For both, yeah. 
Because you go about 250 and then you got to double it with marketing yeah. and then he times it by two. You know? yeah. So, yeah. so they're going to make it. Well, they'll make, be fine. they'll make all the money back on this film and Avengers 4 is going to be all gravy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty incredible yeah. stuff. It's, it's, it's something marvelous to watch, I will say. Pun totally intended. <laughs> all right. I think, I think it's time to get into some of the more nuts and bolts of the film. Let's talk about the MCU timeline here because if you go back to our Spider-Man Homecoming review, yeah. you notice that we made some comments with regards to the timeline because it kind of screwed it up. Yes. It kind of jumped, at least the perception of it was that it jumped to 2020 for some reason for that Spider-Man story because it said six years later after basically after the release of the Avengers or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And eight years later, actually, mm-hmm. it got us to 2020. This movie takes the time to fix that. So when we're talking about kind of finite numbers within the MCU, Stark mentions to Strange in this film that the events of New York, so the attack on New York, the Chitauri mm-hmm. invasion, were six years ago. So that puts this film basically in 2018. And there's another mention that it's two years after Civil War. So they firmly place this back into the proper timeline, which retroactively skips Spider-Man to sometime before this, likely in 2017. Right. So they kind of fix that. But outside of that, all we know is this takes place after every single film that we watch if you're just going with kind of finite film watching and one thing we want to throw out there the next two films ant-man and the wasp which just had a trailer drop today Mm -hmm. as well as captain marvel both happen before infinity war so have no expectation that you're going to see any resolution for anything until may 3rd of 2019 with avengers 2 or avengers Infinity war part 2 we'll probably get like a post-credit scene or maybe even the very end of ant-man Somebody might fade away. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably how it's going to work. Right. And then Captain Marvel's in the 90s, so yeah. we'll even touch this. No, but yeah. we may get to the present day with Captain Marvel referencing that page. Or maybe answering it. Yeah. Yes. So, But we will get to the discussion on that post cool. scene here. All right. I think it's time to jump into the film itself. Now, we're going to try to walk through this as we normally do. Kind of go through the plot, hit on some of those big character development points and really get into to Thanos here because like we said it's kind of his movie so there's a lot of great moments in this film and I'm hoping we can kind of capture those those nuances and the big moments here but it is a very dense film like I said I've seen it twice and I feel like I'm still missing certain things here so hopefully what I kind of miss here in my brief rundown you guys can pick up. And can we really go through this in a lot of detail? Because there's there's so much to talk about. And one thing that I, I want to throw off at of the top here and get your guys' opinion on is, is film editing. Now, this has become like a major focal point for me when I'm watching a movie. And I have to say, this film is extremely well edited. All the scenes are well executed. They have great length to them. And they transi- transition very well from scene to scene. Even when you have these radical shifts in tone going from you know really the avengers-esque iron man stuff to the guardians to wakanda back to thanos so i never felt like i was taken out of the movie from the editing itself do you guys did you guys kind of get that feeling as well do you ever feel like the editing and because of what they're trying to stuff in here hindered the movie's overall development i'm gonna throw this one to you kyle not at all i mean when you consider a two hour 40 minute runtime that's a long time. Like I call these movies like afternoon killers. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's a big chunk of time. And you do not feel that time pass. It does not feel like a two and a half hour plus movie. And that's all down to like very economical editing. It keeps yes. a brisk pace all the way through. Even 
there's a big section in the movie, I, you know, maybe from, say, the hour 10 mark through to the hour 40 mark or so, where it's it's a lot of slow speeds. It, the, the movie starts gathering momentum again. But the tension is building. The editing is still very on point and keeping the, the story moving forward. You do not feel this time pass at all. No. Yeah, I completely agree. Like you mentioned before, it's like a roller coaster ride. It's like a two hour and forty minute roller coaster. You know, it go it goes through waves, ups and downs, and it's it's great, especially when it goes into the flashback sequence. I thought that's so masterfully done when it, it brings you into that Gamora sequence or origin story between her and uh, Thanos. Everything was just so well executed from the transition of Hulk even ending up in Earth, which is pretty much right out of the pages with you know Silver, Silver Surfer. Surfer landing there. So oh man, yeah, it's executed. Yeah. fantastically and i think this picks up from avengers did this very well the first avengers is that the ending of each scene as they're introducing everyone nicely leads into the next one yeah so you've got hulk being sent off from the asgardian ship down to earth he's kind of your transition into dr strange and tony stark and then again you transition from there into the captain america stuff with the flip phone so they, they really seed individual scenes before you actually get to them so you're kind of thinking about that character and then boom they're on the screen mm-hmm. And to me, that's a really great way because I've seen in other films where it's very choppy. You feel like you're all over the place and you don't have this cohesive story, this this narrative that's kind of building to a culmination point. This film really does that and I can appreciate that because like I said, the, the, the idea of editing has played a significant role in how I enjoy a film now. I don't want to be feel like I'm being tossed around from point to point just to get a whole bunch of balls rolling and then, oh yeah, we're going to finish that in the final act. We're going to actually bring it all together. No, it needs to be a slow and steady build, but like you said, Kyle, a brisk economic pace. And I I love what they did in there. There's not enough praise to go around. No. (laughs) Like every aspect of this film just... Yeah, this this is going to be all three of us gushing for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with this first scene here, the Asgardian vessel. So we really pick up... At the end of Thor Ragnarok, we saw the guys Guardian crew and Thanos' ship in the post credit scene coming face to face with that. And it's really where this film kicks off and it kicks it into high gear. It assumes you've seen Thor Ragnarok and I really like that. I've advocated for that. Let's jump from film to film, grow with the appreciation that the audience understands what's going on. You've earned that respect from them. You've earned that storytelling ability. So let's go with it. But we're thrown right into the deep end. We've got Thanos coming out with one of his big monologues here. Now, he kind of rambles through a bunch of things. Even the second viewing, I, I really don't know exactly what he's saying. He's getting very kind of prophesizing, kind of throwing out what he thinks. But I think this is a great way to start the film. It's 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 really telling you this is Thanos' story because we start with this character. Coming out of that, did did you guys feel that this was a great way to start the film the same way I do? Or would you have preferred maybe a little preamble that we get a little later on, but where are the Infinity Stones? What's the deal with the Infinity Stones? Like, did you need that? Or do you feel that going straight into this at this Thor Ragnarok scene, you know, basically at the end of the battle, we don't even get to see Xandar being destroyed right. by Thanos. We're, we're thrown into this probably you know, a couple weeks into Thanos's rampage. Like, are you guys cool with that? What do you think, Troy? Oh, this was brilliant. This was awesome because if you look at it this way, Thor, Ragnarok, the end of that is basically Rogue One. And this here is episode four. <laughs> it steps, uh, it, the, the tone they set with Thanos right off the bat is like Vader-esque. It's, it's incredible. You know, he's after these Infinity Stones. This guy is not to be messed with, ex- especially how far away they went from what they did with um, Ultron. 
I was a little worried in this movie that he could have walked that Ultron route because I felt Ultron should have been something more close to what Thanos is in this film. And just to see like the shots they're taking there, seeing him and Hulk together, it shows that this villain, even hero, if you want to look at it in this certain way in this film, is not to be messed with. And I just love what the from a certain point of view, I absolutely love what they do. They just it just sets the tone yeah. so well at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Sir Kyle? I'm on board. I mean, I like the I like I like you said. They just jump right in here. They assume you've seen Ragnarok, so there's no playing around with. Well, here's the Asgardians who were trying to escape for to freedom. No, this is a just a, a wasteland of dead Asgardians, and you see Thanos, and he's mumbling about whatever it is he's talking about, and it. We spend ten minutes with him, just establishing the mindset of this character and what kind of a threat he is. And by the end of this opening sequence, you have a brick in your pants because <laughs> this, we have not seen at all in the MCU, somebody this terrifying. And especially when, you know, Loki, Loki is kind of smack talking uh, Thanos a bit saying, oh, we have a Hulk. And for that brief Brilliant. moment as a fan, you're going, wow, like, here we go. It's on Hulk is going to mess this guy up. And you see him, and he's taking the fight to Thanos a little bit, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, one of one of the Black Order, I can't remember their names, just says, yeah, just just let him have his fun. Yeah. And I then, mean, yeah, and then uh, Thanos just turns the tables, and wallpapers, ragdolls Hulk. Yes. Yes. And that's when you swallow hard, and you go, uh oh, like that's we we know Thanos is is almost all powerful with or without the the stones. But to see it happen to Hulk right at the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh, my God. Like, what is this? If this is him now, what will he be in two hours from now? So the tone setting was just on point. Yeah. Like, they could have really went a route where they had Ebony Maw or Corvus Glade start talking up Thanos. He's right. the most powerful being mm-hmm. in the universe. He's like a god. He destroyed mm-hmm. Titan. But, no, they show you. He fights a Hulk and beats him. Like you said, Kyle, he kills Heimdall, he kills Loki. So we have three very well-established characters in the MCU as being very powerful characters, and he lays waste to all of them. Well, destroys Asgardians, yeah. right? I mean, Valkyrie. I've said. Yeah, like, Where's well, Valkyrie? Well, Valkyrie supposedly in the Reddit forum, I believe one of the Russos said that she went off on a, on a pod. So she's out okay. there. But they haven't oh, explained about um, Korg. Mm, okay. Exactly. They haven't explained about him yet. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see both <clears> of them <throat> pop up because there is a reference that half of them are dead yeah. and half of them are still alive. <clears throat> As per Thanos' kind of his overall goal setting here is kill half of everyone. <laughs> so I, I, I find it believable that they took off. But I, I love how they show you this. They don't tell you that he's this all-powerful being. They show you. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what do you guys think about the death of Heimdall and Loki? Were you expecting that? I, I'm going to throw this at you. I think we all predicted. And Kyle, <laughs> you going back to episode 96, the first trailer, predicted that Loki was toast. And I think that's something we had all kind of already come to terms with. Yeah. But I wasn't expecting Heimdall. Did, did you were you looking? Well, I remember at one point, I think last episode, we even discussed will we even see Heimdall because yeah. we didn't know. Uh, I think we came to the conclusion that we would see him. Yeah. Um, thinking back, it's kind of obvious that he would bite it, if not there, we would have even thought in Ragnarok. But um, Loki made sense, especially early on. I thought that was going to be taken care of yeah. pretty early. So not really. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I predicted that pretty well. I think we all did. Yeah. I mean, a couple things from episode 96 that we touched on. Uh, so we thought, I mean, I thought we all thought Loki was going to get it, but it's the way that he gets it. We don't see, at least from my recollection, we don't, you know, when, when he, Thanos is choking him out 
and you see his face is like he's he's choking he's being suffocated and his eyes are kind of like bulging out you you it was very visceral it was very um brutal and to yeah. see his body go limp and he just thuds down on the floor and you you see it you don't often see that in the MCU movies they kind of either destroy the body or just kind of allude to it Off this screen, was yeah. very visceral and you got to feel that and look at it and go oh man like this guy does not play around and as far as Heimdall goes my theory didn't quite pan out, but I did feel that Heimdall was going to get it. I, I originally thought that maybe Loki, in trying to curry favor with Thanos, would kill Heimdall and then do away with, like, you know, send Thor out into space, like open an airlock or something, get rid of him. Uh, that's not quite what happened, but I guess in a roundabout way, it does it does say that I was expecting Heimdall to get it yeah. too. And yeah, so that's there's two heroes there, and you see Thor, like Thanos is just kind of holding his limp beaten up body in one hand and you're just you're just like oh my god how yeah. did we get to this point who how who is this guy yeah and i love that they jumped right into that they didn't have to have thor fighting thanos they just show up with him on the ground kind of laying there they don't even really show him until he's dragging him across the ground you yep. kind of see his chest and then you're like okay i think that's thor yeah but it's there um and now just stepping back to loki quick i think this is a great way to end loki's arc this really completes i think that redemptive arc for loki mm -hmm. he kind of does that final sacrifice for his brother he gives up the tesseract again a big theme in this film is sacrifice it seems that every infinity stone comes with a trade for a life mm -hmm. and this is called out by vision and steve rogers we don't trade lives you know so this is a huge theme that's touched on multiple times and i think it's gonna have a big impact in avengers 4 but we kind of get that the end to loki he, he's been redeemed i think of a character that you know we spent half his his time in the mcu as a villain and the other half as somewhere in between whether he's an anti-hero what you want to call it but here to me th this is a great way to end that character and thanos calls out right here you know no resurrections this time like speaking directly to the audience saying look this is a different movie like, he's dead. He's proper dead. And Thor even calls that out later on, saying, I think he's really dead this time. Yeah. So, will they bring him back? Maybe. Should they? No. No. I, I think that would that really takes away from this, this opening scene with Thanos and just showing what he can do. And I think Loki's... And we, we talked about this almost at nauseum. It's time for his arc to end. He's, he's had his story told. And I don't think they can even do in a, a Thor 4 where you have Loki and Thor playing back and forth again. We don't need to have that, you know, Loki turns on him, but then he's okay. And then mm -hmm. he helps him and then he doesn't. And then he kind of steals something at the end. We, we've seen that a lot. Yeah, they barely got away with it in Ragnarok. Yeah. yeah. And and now they end it here. And I think it's, it's a great way to end to Loki. And I, I think it really, really speaks to this film. And if they change that or they kind of retcon that, I think it takes away from Infinity War. So I don't think we're going to see Loki coming back to life anytime soon agree there's, there's there's no reason to we've seen plenty of him yeah now Can i toss a question at you guys about ragnarok in retrospect yeah sure like does this opening does it have does it lessen the impact of the end of ragnarok for you like with thor's big plan to let surter destroy asgard because As asgard's not a place it's the people and that you felt like there was that that victory where thor saved the people now fast forward an hour on their timeline and there's no more Asgard. There's no place. There's no people except for Thor himself. That's, that's, is, is that Does that weaken Ragnarok's ending in retrospect? You know, looking at it, I've never really kind of reflected on it that much. But I, for me, no. 
I, I like the idea that, you know, we, we have the end of, of Ragnarok and they built that Asgard as a place, not a people. And I think to me, again, it weighs into the significance of, of Thanos and what's going on in this moment is the fact that, you know, we've lost most of Asgard and now we're losing the other half of the people. So I think to me, it just brings a bit more weight to Infinity War. Does it take away from Ragnarok? For me personally, no, I don't think so. What are your thoughts, Troy? Yeah, no, I echo those thoughts a lot. I think it all just kind of feeds into the lore of Thanos and just builds them up even more. So, you know, it kind of makes, it kind of makes, I guess, Ragnarok pointless in some sense, but in, in a good way, in a storytelling way, where it's like you, you saved New York even, Avengers 1, but it means nothing because at the end of the day, Thanos is going to win, and he does. So it just adds more to his resume, I guess you could yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Any, any thoughts on that one for yourself? I don't know where I sit, to be honest. I mean, it does feed up into Thanos. That is without question. It mm-hmm. makes Thanos all the more potent and terrifying that mm-hmm. this guy will wipe civilizations off the map, even if even if they're just barely hanging on. There's no mercy. Even though he talks about mercy a lot in this film, he'll wipe them out, and he does. And I, I, just, I just don't know if – I mean, in a vacuum, Ragnarok is wonderful. I love it. And in a vacuum, Infinity War is amazing. It's incredible. When you put, plug the two together, I, I think I'm still sifting through whether or not I like how Thor's air quotes victory in saving the people in, during Ragnarok is nullified immediately. It does serve Thanos well and the overall narrative going on in the MCU well. I guess that's the big de- that's the big thing. So, um, but I think there's a debate to be had. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I think it's going to take a couple. I think I have to revisit Ragnarok in retrospect now to really think that one through. It's a good question. I think we put the pin in that one because I'd like to revisit that down the road sometime because this is probably the first time we have something that's almost immediately, not so much negated, but you you have some sort of reciprocal response to a film almost back to back. We we usually get a time gap or something to that effect mm-hmm. where you, you have the effects of one film kind of ripple through the other but this one almost directly impacts the end of Ragnarok and changes things a little bit about how they ended that film so I let's think about that one a little more and maybe come back to that down the road sometime all right so the villains here so we, we were going to talk about Thanos in a bit of depth a little later on but let's get to the children of Thanos or as they're referred to in the comic books the Black Order now we've got Cole Obsidian which is the big hulking dude We've got Proxima Midnight, which is the female character, and Corvus Glade, which is the guy with the big blade, kind of the robe on, and Ebony Maw. Now, Ebony Maw is the guy that seems to be the most powerful. He does a lot, again, of the, the talking and kind of <laughs> bowing to, I can't remember the line he has, but bowing to Thanos there. This is really the Mephisto character from Infinity Gauntlet. Mm, like he, yeah, has some, right. he has very similar, right, like there's call. a line pulled right out of the first part of the book that he says directly to Thanos as he's heading in the Tesseract. Now, what are your guys' thoughts on these lieutenants, we'll call them? Kind of big CGI creations, new characters to the universe. Do they land for you? Because if you reflect back on some of the minor critiques of the film, this is where most people go. How how do you guys feel about the children of Thanos? This is where, you know, where I mentioned at the outset where I'm not as deeply entrenched with this as you guys. These guys work for me perfectly well because I'm I don't know the children of Thanos from the comic books. I don't know the Black Order from the comics. So these guys are are fine for me. In that way I guess I'm not a super purist, 
but they work really well because like Thanos can't be everywhere at once. And if you have a, a movie that pushes three hours, somebody's got to hold up the action end of things. And it can't be Thanos everywhere all the time. And it's got to be somebody who or some buddies who can dance with the Avengers. That is not just cannon fodder. And so I think these are these are the perfect suitors for the first half of the film to uh, bring us some action, to uh, raise the stakes a little bit, and and drive the narrative from the Thanos side of things. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I I, I liked half of them. I liked the uh, Ebony Maw. Yeah, he's good. And I liked Proxima Midnight. I thought she was great. Um, I like the tone that Ebony Maw sets when they come down to New York on that big ship and there's a storm coming and he takes on like four of the heroes on New York there. I thought that was great. Um, his play uh, with um, Doc Strange too. Yeah. I really like uh, the dialogue going on between the two of them and I like how they take him out. So um, no, he was good. Approximate Midnight looks cool. She's, she's a really cool looking kind of villain. They all look great. And like Kyle mentioned, yeah, like Thanos can't be everywhere. So it made sense to plant these guys all over the world and, and take on the Avengers. So for me, actually, they worked great. A lot better than the faceless army that was in uh, Age of Ultron. Yes, the, you know, the, the, the droids, Ultron bots. The, the Tron bots, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. no, I, I like them. Do we see the end of them though? Do you think it's it? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think they, they kind of, they cap these guys off. They, they served a purpose. Yeah. In this film, and I'm gonna echo your guys' thoughts there too. Like Ebony Ma is my favorite. I mm-hmm. wish we got a little more of him, but at the end of the day, they, they serve a purpose, and that's to allow Thanos to character develop. Yeah, like you guys both mentioned, you can't have Thanos punching up the heroes and then also trying to develop this emotional side of him and kind of really develop his motivations while he's running around punching. Yeah. So they, they really serve as kind of a narrative device to drive our heroes into action, to give them something to do at the start of the film, to kind of really reflect what's going to happen or, or do Thanos' bidding for him while he's off doing other things. And I like that for them. They're relatively one note. I think Corvus Glade is probably the one that I'm slightly disappointed by because he plays a huge part in the comic books. Is that the hulking one? No, Corvus Glade is the guy with the, the robe with the, the blade. Right, okay. Yeah. He's kind of Thanos' right-hand man. And even in the comic books, he takes Thanos' spot when Thanos disappears for a while. So he doesn't really give off that in the film. Mm-hmm. He's kind of just there and he gets hurt and he's he's probably the least present out of all four of them in right. the film itself. So I think Ebony Maw really shines. The others, they're, they're there and mm-hmm. they serve a purpose. And I like them. The CGI looks great. Yes. Some of the, the interaction we get, especially with Proxima Midnight, when we have the Wakandan battle with her and Black Widow, yep. Scarlet Witch. And, uh, I can't remember her name. Okay. I can, uh, I always call her. Okay. I don't know how exactly <laughs> how to say her name, but the, the head of the Dora Milaje. Yep. So there's some really great interaction there and they do a lot of good things with them. But at the end of the day, they're there to get you to Thanos, yep. to allow Thanos to develop. And I can appreciate that. Now, coming off of and transitioning from this first opening sequence, we get to what I call the Herald. This is the Silver Surfer moment mm-hmm. that Hulk kind of takes a place with. And Heimdall sends Hulk crashing into the Sanctum Centorium, where we get that introduction to Doctor Strange, Wong, and eventually Tony Stark. Now, I think this is a fantastic way to transition from Thanos and down and get the Avengers going. What do you guys take on Doctor Strange and Tony Stark's interaction here once we get going? We got, what are they called? The, the mustache bros? Goatee, Goatee bros, bros in the from comics the comic there. books. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do you guys feel about their interaction, their interplay between Tony Stark and Doctor Strange? I'll throw this one to you first, Trey. I thought it was great. You know, actually, I wasn't expecting their interaction to be like this. I was actually expecting it to be a little more comic book-like. But it makes sense because 
uh, Doctor Strange is so far gone from what he used to be, whereas Tony has grown, but he's still cocky. He's still yeah. kind of the same. So Doctor Strange is kind of like talking to like his past self. You know, he just talks down to him. And they really bat heads here, and I like it. And I and I like how you can there's certain perspectives um, that you could agree on. Like Tony is kind of right, just destroy the the stone right now, whereas. You know, Doc Strange is like, no, the other way. So I like how it kind of divides the audience. You can kind of have your who you're uh, rooting for. So I really like the dynamic between the two of them. That was great. Yeah. It's one of the greatest things of the MCU is the interplay between pick any two characters and put them together. And they and magic just happens yes. on screen. And, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is just a, he's a he, he is a wizard himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never mind uh, Doctor Strange. But he's just so good. Like He is Tony Stark. It's it's. Without question. I don't know if this will be the last two films where we see him, but man, has this guy been virtuoso across the board. And to see these two guys who are, are very, very sure of themselves and of the knowledge they possess, the skill sets they have, calling each other douchebags and yes. just arguing almost like schoolboys. But of course, they're way up here and we're we're way down here. Uh, just it's a clash of minds that it's, it's just so satisfying. It's, yeah. it's a it's it's so, so good to see. It's one of my favorite exchanges in the film, in a film full of exchanges that I absolutely loved. Like, Benedict Cumberbatch really holds his own with Robert Downey Jr. Because that, that's the only kind of setback with having Downey being so good in this role, is that he can have an effect at really dampening other characters. But when you put strong actors opposing him, like Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. in the role of Doctor Strange, it elevates the character. And I think this has an effect on all the characters in this film that surround Robert Downey Jr. is that they all play really well into him. They can banter with him. And that as a whole makes all those scenes so much better. Having Doctor Strange being a focal point in this film a lot more than I thought mm -hmm. he was going to be. You reflect on this, you assumed, or I assumed coming into this, this is going to be, again, a Captain America Iron Man story. It's not. No. It, it's more of a Doctor Strange story than it is a Captain America story. Like, Tony gets a lot of moments in here, but Doctor Strange really comes off well in this film, even more so, I think, than he does in his own film. Yep. I think I'm more excited now for a Doctor Strange solo outing because of this film than I was coming off the back end of his own film. That that in itself is huge character development within a massive movie. It's it's fantastic what they're able to put to screen here early on in this film. Well, it's, it's so great to see Doctor Strange or the Sorcerer Supreme really be the Sorcerer Supreme this yes. time around because we were seeing like the origin story last time, but here he really just embodied the character and it's really great to see just how damn powerful Doctor Strange really is. Yeah, and it, like you like you talked about, Tim, we, we really probably go into this thinking this is Cap and Iron Man getting back together yes. and, and leading the Avengers. To me, it's you're right. This is this, There's Doctor Strange with one hand on the wheel and I felt like Thor had his yes. hand on the wheel as well. Those are the guys driving the Avengers bus here, which 100%. is it's refreshing. It's it's I don't want to say subversive because that's not the right word, but it is out of expectation. And it's 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 and it still fits like nobody walked away going, man, there was way too much Doctor Strange in that. No, because he was fantastic in it. <laughs> he was. Yeah, like, and, and this really leads us to into they play a little catch up. 
they kind of go through the infinity stones this is what they are the soul stone they kind of tease that they catch banner up a little bit so this is your short exposition on what's going on in the mcu in the last little bit we got something a little bit similar in the guardians when the collector was describing the stone so I, i think that's good but this really leads us into our first, or I guess really second action sequence, our first mm-hmm. big one. And this is when New York's attacked as Ebony Maw and the Cole Obsidian are coming after Doctor Strange's Time Stone. And again, this fight is fantastic. We get to see a lot of really cool elements interplaying here. Not only do we get Doctor Strange and Wong doing their thing, we get a new Iron Man suit, yes. and we also get Banner and this kind of interplay between this Jekyll Hyde thing where the 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 whole high thing the jet like it's not coming they're not coming together here so I, I really like what they do here and my one of my favorite parts in the film and when I decided that this was probably one of my favorite MCU films if not the top was when Peter Parker shows up yeah like when he shows up and catches that hammer that Call of City is coming down on Iron Man I was like this is incredible like I didn't see it coming and he pokes his head around I was like wow. Yeah. Like what what just happened here? I'm inside of a comic book. So I'm gonna throw a few questions out to you guys here. I'll go to you first, Kyle. What are your thoughts on the introduction of Peter Parker with a Spidey Sense for the first time? And what are your thoughts on Iron Man's new kind of nanotech suit? I'll start with the second one first. I don't get the suit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get I don't know how he's now walking around in a track suit that is also the Iron Man suit. I, I, but I, you know what? I just suspend my disbelief on all those things. It's gone from the clunky thing he built in the cave to a thing that is almost now something like almost like pajamas to him. <laughs> it's come to this point. Whatever. I don't care anymore. At some point, it's going to be just something that he has like a little tiny little ladybug dome on the side of his head. He'll press it and the whole thing will just spread from there like Star Lord. I don't care. I'm fine with it. Spider Man's introduction. If you did not pump your fist and smile ear to ear when you saw him tuck duck his head around the camera yes. around the, the hammer and like introduce himself with a quip if you didn't smile you i think you should just go to the doctor and check your pulse because <laughs> something is wrong with you yeah you've missed that, the point <laughs> that is an uplifting fan excitement moment that you just don't get many of and you need to enjoy those all right try yeah. Spider-Man's your boy. We yeah, got to see man. him with the backpack on. We got the Spidey sense. Yes. Let us know your thoughts on oh, both Iron man. man and Spider-Man here. Well, well, the Iron Man costume, I absolutely love it. It, it feels very extremist, like like a proper extremist, yes. like Iron Man 3, but it performs a lot like the all-new, all-different Iron Man, which is great with the, like, the weapons coming out of his armor and all that kind of stuff, and it's strong. I love it. It's sleek. It's, it's, it's great. So Iron Man held it down, but Spider-Man... I nearly jumped out of my seat. It, I, I've seen the trailer a thousand times, but right when his spider sense goes and the, the hair raises on his arms, I was just like, oh man, this is this is nuts. And then he hops in there, very comic book-like splash page, and, you know, saves uh, Tony there. And he, and he calls him, uh, is it uh, is it Sir Stark? Mr. Stark. Mr. Stark. He's always calling him Mr. Stark. Yeah. And I, I love how he's like this ward, which um, yes. Doc Strange calls out. <laughs> so <laughs> the relationship is, is just great. Um, we're warmed up to it from Civil War and Homecoming. So we're used to those two uh, they're dynamic between each other. And I just thought it was so cool. And again, this is very airport scene. Like the Russo brothers do such a great job going all the way back to uh, Winter Soldier of shooting these action sequences. And it was just so well done seeing all these heroes come together from Wong, Doc Strange to uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man. So, yeah. man, love this scene. Yeah. Loved it. Extremely dynamic yeah. action sequence with just a few heroes, too. Yeah. Now, 
I, I really enjoyed the Iron Man suit as well. I'm going to take a stab here, Kyle, and try to explain it for you. So as far as I understand, and this comes a bit from the prelude comic book, is you know the little thing or the, the chest piece he's wearing again? Yeah, the new one, yeah. Yeah, he kind of explains it to, to Pepper. But so as far as I can understand, that's a housing unit for this nanotech. And essentially, it seeds from there out. It's not the tracksuit. It's the, the the actual chest reactor piece. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the reactor piece. So it comes out of there. And the cool thing that I didn't really catch until my second viewing, when he is fighting Thanos at the end, and you see it kind of coming off, and he's what it is, I think the nanotech's relatively finite. So it can only do so much. So when he's pulling out the guns and he's protecting his head and then he's it's and eventually gets stabbed there, it's because he's run out of the nanotech right. because he's used it all and so only half of his suit is there. It's like Big Hero 6. If you guys seen Big Hero 6 yeah. out there, those nanobots. Exactly. Right. Okay, I got you. Cool. Something like that. So, But they're relatively finite. So at the end, his suit isn't complete because he's expended a lot of that right. by firing the missiles and using it and getting it punched off. And that's then it right. kind of fills in different spots. So that's kind of how... It's really the second viewing that I appreciated a lot right. more. I didn't catch a lot of that in my first viewing with the Spider... Or with the um, Iron Man suit. Right. There. So I don't know if that makes any more sense for your call. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, you can give me any explanation that you wanted to. And I've been like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm past the point of saying, well, that, scientifically, that doesn't really match up with with my headcanon. I don't care. The suit can do whatever it wants. Here, the ultimate defender of, of canon and thought process in the MCU. <laughs> no, So this scene itself, after having a great action piece here, it really ends with Ma capturing Doctor Strange. Which is, I like the interplay there with Ma and Doctor Strange. And Stark and Peter Parker pursuing this donut shape, as he calls it, as Stark calls it, ship, into the sky. And we get the introduction of the Iron Spider suit. Now, that was teased in Spider-Man Homecoming here. We kind of predicted this, that eventually Peter Parker was going to fall off and Stark was going to shoot this up and kind of capture him in it. It looks great. I, I really like it. And we eventually, they didn't show it in the trailers, but we do get the iron, the big spider yeah, uh, arms or whatever. Yeah, yeah the claws, whatever. They yeah, are. you yeah. gotta be loving seeing these. Yeah, you know, I've never really been a fan of the iron suit from uh, from Civil War, but I appreciate what it did, especially because in this movie already, it utilized that armor a lot more than it did in the comics. So yeah. that was cool to see. Great sequence, you know, Spidey gasping for air, and then Tony shoots off that, uh, that armor and saves Spidey. So um, no, I thought it was well done. And the CG... Well, I got to say, the CG in most parts of this film looks really good. I'm sure we'll get into it later on. But for now, this part looked just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on the Iron Spider suit, Kyle? It was cool. I mean, I, I, I'm a sucker for just the tip of the regular Spider-Man yes. suit. I was kind of bummed that we didn't get more of that. Yeah. I understand. I fully understand and appreciate the need for Spidey to be leveled up when he's going into outer space. And, of course, he's, he's fighting people way above his, his punching weight. So you got to help him out just a bit. But by the same token, I hope by the time we get into part four, uh, in, in War Part Two, that we're back to a more typical Spider-Man suit. Yes, I, I just I I love that, and I feel like Spider-Man can do whatever he needs to do, just wearing that plain old suit. Yeah, it's Spider-Man for goodness yeah, sakes. He's, I agree. He takes out X-Men with it with just just his plain old pajama suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stowaway as Stark calls him I love that yeah. and how about him being knighted as an Avenger that, that's great Parker plays I think probably the most emotional role outside of Thanos mm-hmm. in this film he has we, we, and we will get into a bit more detail but he has probably the most heart-wrenching death 
Oh, yeah. Oh, by oh, far. My goodness. And even when he's kind of knighted by Tony Stark and says, you're an Avenger, yeah. you see him puff up his chest. Yeah. And then he gets this kind of look of fear on his face. Like, Tom Holland is incredible in this role. His acting chops are on the level of, of Downey. Like, he spent three movies going toe-to-toe with Downey and mm-hmm. keeping up with them and making it feel like a real relationship. Like, you, you never question the fact that Downey has kind of taken him under his wing and reluctantly at that in some parts, but in other, in other scenarios, you're thinking, well, he really wants him here. Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of his pseudo child. Yes. And I, I really like that relationship and they, they play it hard in, in civil war mm-hmm. and homecoming and really here to its culmination. And I think Tom Holland, he's, he's one of those em- emotional pivot points in the film. And, I can really appreciate how they use that character, not only as Spider-Man, but as someone to to make Tony's decisions yes. matter. Yes, add a lot more weight to them. Yes. And I think that's so cool in this film, uh, the MCU, what they're doing now is because we're seeing a young Spider-Man paired up with these guys. Because when you go to the comics, Spider-Man's already a man. He's in college yeah. at these points, right? So it's really interesting to see like an ultimate kind of take on the character and that relationship, like you mentioned, between uh, Tony and a young Peter. So yeah, props to Tom Holland, man. His acting is just on another level yeah. throughout this whole movie. And I, actually, I heard the death scene is improv, the very end there. Really? So... It was him, man. It, it was it was it was heart wrenching. <laughs> yes, like I was welling up and everything. Yeah, my heart was racing yeah. that whole sequence, but we'll get there. <laughs> we certainly will. <laughs> now, the nice thing about the end of this scene, it really transitions well into what we get next, and it ends with Banner picking up that phone. We know he's going to call Steve Rogers, but we transition to Scotland, where we get Wanda Maximoff. And Vision, a Vision not in his normal look. He's kind of in his human form. And they really play hard and and really fully acknowledge the idea of this relationship between Wanda and an android. Even an android can cry. I love that. (laughs) It's from the Avengers, from a comic book. Are you guys okay with this love story kind of tossed into Avengers Infinity War? And I'll I'll give you my opinion right now. Again, I really liked it. (laughs) What, What are your thoughts here, Kyle? I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I come from the Star Wars galaxy where Sice Noodles was dating a hut, so <laughs> who am I to step in the way of an android and a and a human witch? Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it, it didn't bother me at all. Um, again, going back to the comics, you know, we, we, it's, as far as I can remember, Vision has always been the relationship with him and Scarlet Witch, yeah. you know, so it didn't really bother me. Um, it made sense that they made him human-like, too, just to appeal more to the masses, because it yeah. would have looked a little weird if he was still in the android uh, form. It's not the worst relationship by any means in the MCU, but it's not the greatest. But it, it works and it serves its purpose throughout the film. So I liked it. Yeah, and I think going back to the idea that it serves a purpose, it really factors into the Wakandan battle. Yes. And I will say, I will tease this because well, I'll get to this when we get to the Wakandan battle. This is the start of my one small issue in okay. this film is the Wanda vision stuff. Like not so much their relationship, but how they get to the point in Wakanda where they're thinking, well, we don't trade lives mm-hmm. because they do trade a lot of lives. <laughs> <laughs> and we will get to that. So I'll see that. This is kind of the kickoff of it. But at the end of the day, I think pairing the two of them together is is really great. Mm-hmm. It really shows how powerful Wanda is. Yes. When you see them fighting Corvus Glade and Proxima Midnight as they come to get the Mind Stone from Vision's head, it really goes... And it does a lot more for Wanda than it does for Vision. Vision oh, yeah. 
has a relatively small part in this film. He spends a lot of time laying down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's tired, man. Give him a break. <laughs> he he doesn't have that same effect that he does in Ultron. Yeah, or like at he, the airport scene, even. Exactly. Yeah. Like Rogers refers to him a little later on as one of Earth's greatest protectors. And he never really has that opportunity. Now they give him an out. He gets stabbed by that blade. Now that blade has significance in the comics. They really don't get into it in this film, but they kind of sideline vision for the majority of this film. And I wish we got a little bit more of vision, a little bit more of his power set. Cause he never phases in this. Right. He doesn't really do anything cool. Do you think it's cause he's an overpowered character? Well, that's the thing. They basically Charles Xavier him. Right. Like yeah. you have to, you go every X-Men film, they find a way to disable Charles Xavier cause he's too powerful. Right. And they almost do a little bit of that to vision mm -hmm. because he, becomes a bit of a MacGuffin yes. more than anything. Yeah. Like he's, he's not as much of a character. Like he probably gets the least amount of development out of any character in this film. Mm -hmm. They, we get the idea that, yeah, he's evolved. He's becoming human. That's called out in the film, yeah. but they really don't play with that very much. He, he's really just in essence, the mind stone. Yes. I think it, it's, it's, you know, it, they walk a really fine line there for me. But it's this scene when they're battling Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight that we get the introduction of Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, and Black Widow. Now, Steve Rogers is my dude. He's my favorite character in the MCU, my favorite character in the comic books. I love his appearance in this, and I love his introduction here. Now, the trailer played a little trickery on us. Yes. Because the assumption was that he was already in Wakanda right. when he gets introduced. I like that he gets pulled into this battle with Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. What did you guys think of this second third battle i guess we'll call it where we have black widow sam wilson and steve rogers really taking it to these two really powerful supervillains. it's a nice call back to uh, winter soldier that's the yeah. big three in that movie right so it's cool to see those guys together black widows come to her senses and joined you know the the underground avengers the secret avengers you could say um steve rogers really didn't get much no. in this film at all. Um, going back to I noticed the marketing is a little different. Even looking at your Marvel Legend, his hair is... This is nitpicking. It doesn't even bother me. But his hair is a lot different Yeah. Um, throughout the film there. But yeah, he's uh, he's pretty quiet. It's, it's not the Cap we're used to. No, and it's not all. the story that I thought we were going to get from Cap. Not coming from the directors and the writers. Not at all. So that's why I'm hoping we get big payoff in part four. I think we are. With Cap, and we'll, we'll get into that. But um, no, overall, it's a great sequence. I, I still love when he catches that staff. Yes. That's that's so cool. And um, yeah, all around is, is great. It's just I really love seeing that three together because I think they're so great what they established in Winter Soldier. It was beautiful, man. I I was absolutely shocked. I didn't, like, like you said, Tim, I really thought that cap was hiding in wakanda and i was just resigned to we i won't see him until we go there so to see him walk out of the shadows in the subway station cap's here oh my god cap's here and then and then we see catch up with falcon and black widow and i'm like yes now like action is business is picking up now it was just an it was a jolt of adrenaline when i'm already redlining like it was it was so well done what a what a nice little curveball they threw us there loved yeah. it and it was a quick, really dynamic hand-to-hand -hand combat. And it was these three characters that you expect that from. And the dynamic, this comes a bit out of the prelude comic book as well. They allude to the idea, or they actually show you that these three have been kind of wandering around doing the Secret Avenger thing. And that's called out by uh, General Ross a little yeah. later on, Secretary of State General Ross, when they do end up back in the Avengers facility. But again, I have to agree with you guys. Like This, this scene, it shows how powerful this crew is because they're able to put these two kind of somewhat overpowered villains 
really kind of on on the ropes here and they end up taking off and this is when we get the crew going back to the avengers facility interacting a bit with james rhodes here who's who's another really welcome presence for me he's kind of flipped from civil war he's kind of seen the era of the ways of the scovia accords he has some great interaction with a William Hurt's General Ross, which I'm su- was surprised to see again. Oh, so glad he showed up. Yes, yeah, so welcome to me. Mm-hmm. And they they really play off the idea the events of Civil War are still being felt in the MCU two years later. Which is good, because I feel like that's kind of been the missed opportunity after the events of Civil War. You know, it's, it's such a great film, one of the best, but we didn't really get to feel that weight of, like, the rebel, you know, underground secret Avengers, you know? Yeah. We didn't get that, like, and I don't want to keep comparing it to the comics, but you know, going back to the comics, that, um, you know, Cap and all those other guys were really out on the run. You really felt that that presence. So, um, anyways, all around, yeah, you know, it's, it's great to see uh, everybody show up there. So it's it's at this point, too, that we get a little bit of insight as to the whereabouts of Ant-Man, Scott Lang, yeah. and Hawkeye. They, they don't make an appearance in this film, which I'm still a little shocked at. But there's a couple of throwaway lines in this, in this sequence here about them taking plea deals, going back to be with their families, and that's why they're really not around in this. Now, Ant-Man and the Wasp, they dropped the trailer today, and one of the big things were they had the Avengers lining up and saying, you know, where were Ant-Man and the Wasp? in this film and it's interesting that they kind of explain it away it still feels like a little bit of a hole but i feel like there's a much bigger story to tell like there's a reason this is happening you know the directors came out and said look ant-man and the wasp are getting their own film right after everything will will come to fruition as we get to infinity war part two did you guys feel their absence in this film do you feel that this kind of couple throwaway lines really justified their absence I, didn't, I can't say that I missed them, per se. I mean, I knew that they were not there. Like, there was a point in the movie going, where's Hawkeye? Where's Ant-Man? Ah, I don't need him. Like, I've got enough on my plate here. I'm, I'm enjoying this movie enough where I don't have to have Scott Lang and and uh, Jeremy Renner in the sandbox as well. I'm, I'm good to go. If you need to hold these guys back and give them, the, you know, like put them at home with their families on these plea deals, okay. I know you're going you're gonna to need some reinforcements in part two. So I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, it made a lot of sense to me, especially because of all of the heroes, they are the ones with the families. So it makes a lot of sense that you wouldn't see Ant-Man, especially them making it clear that we are going to see them in the next film coming up here in a couple months. So that makes sense. Uh, I, I just feel bad for Hawkeye because he's been shafted through all three Avenger films, yeah. to be honest. But he, I'm sure he's going to have a big payoff. He has like the Ronin look going on yes. in, uh, I was going to say episode four, in <laughs> Avengers 4 there. So uh, all around, it's it's fine. And the thing is, the screen time was stretched pretty thin with all the heroes as it was. You threw in two more characters like them, that would be pretty tough to pull off. Yeah, and so. it, it appears from, again, spoilers for Avengers 4 here, Infinity War Part 2, it appears that they're going to play a relatively prominent role in that film. Mm-hmm. So I think saving them and introducing a new dynamic to that film is going to really benefit those characters more so than, like you said, trying to squeeze them in here. Because realistically, even a guy like Winter Soldier fades to the background a bit here. And Hawkeye would have been even further to the background. So using them and leveraging those characters and their dynamic with who's left will probably benefit them more going to Infinity War. So... I, I didn't really miss either of them. I knew or had an idea. We thought maybe Hawkeye would show up at the end, but we kind of already had this perception that they weren't in the film. Yeah. And at the end of the day, at the end of the film, I didn't really notice it. So I'm, I'm kind of pleased that it wasn't a huge absence. It's not like taking Rogers 
or Stark out of the film and right. being like, well, well, we're going to Luke Skywalker these guys for later. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get that, that same yeah. vibe to it. And well, let's be honest too. Like who wants to go through round two of the, that, that tired meme of, you know, Hawkeye has 12 arrows and then what? Yes. <laughs> you know, he has to like beat people with it, with the, with the bow. Yeah. Like that's what happens in that final battle. If, if that's where he is, right? Like he fires off his, his five, 10 arrows and then he has to go hand to hand. Like it's a it's it's a joke that we've seen before. Yeah, and with guys like Rogers and Black Panther struggling, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to fare so well. <laughs> you know, this is this is where the film takes one of its big tonal changes, and this is when we transition into the Guardians of the Galaxy. And the thing that I love about this, the the, the score in itself fades it kind of crescendos a few times we get the avengers theme but again like most mcu films with the exception of maybe black panther and the guardians films it kind of fades to the background a little bit but they they shift this whole film for a few minutes into a guardians film it transitions nicely with the music and we end up with the crew on the milano again what a way to introduce a bunch of characters into a film that if you had to stand back five years ago and said, we're going to get this, you'd be like, this makes no sense together. But they leveraged the idea and the concepts that they built in Ragnarok in expanding that to be more of a cosmic film or a cosmic franchise and paired those two groupings up and having Thor interact with the Guardians here and having the Guardians listening in and responding to that Asgardian distress call that we got the start. To me seamless transition into what could have felt like an abrupt change of tone and overall characterization in this really big film. It felt like it was supposed to be that it was very organic. Did you guys feel the same way about the transition from our more Avengers esque film into in part a guardians film? Yeah. It transitioned beautifully. That groundwork for me was laid perfectly well in 2017 with Ragnarok and Guardians Volume 2. Yep. Done. Done deal right there. They synced up the tone. Just the look of the franchises were kind of meshing together. And so to you know, to cut away from from this point in, to, in Infinity War to the Milano, into space, catching up with Thor, it's, it just dovetails so perfectly. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing how they make this work. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I feel like the crowd itself was about to sing on that soundtrack. Yes. It just, just amps up the whole crowd. It's it's so good to see. And the chemistry between these heroes and Thor, Chris Hemsworth, it just oh. makes so much sense to be with the Guardians, you know. Um, everything was great. I, I love the call out to uh, to Mantis when it's like, you know, put your game face on. Yeah. And she quenches her face, but the camera stays there and you can still see her in the background. Yeah. Even when it's blurred out, she's still making that face. And I just love what they do with those characters. It's just so well done. And man, I could do a whole movie of Rocket and Thor yes. or, or, or Thor and uh, sweet rabbit. I guess yeah. you could say. Sweet rabbit. The noble <laughs> rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking about, about pairing characters up, I, I love Thor and rocket and Groot, but how about Thor versus Quill here in the battle for Gamora? Right? Oh man. It, I, this was probably the moment where the crowd was laughing the hardest or amongst the few. It, it, I couldn't hear half the jokes because people were howling all around me. Like Pratt's impression of Thor and him playing off and them calling him fat. Yeah. And that Thor was this like pirate angel. <laughs> like it was brilliant. Like I'm literally on the edge of my seat laughing my ass off. And 
the, the chemistry and like you said cop it comes down to what they did in ragnarok that's why this works this doesn't work coming off the back end of either avengers movies or dark world they don't fit together they they worked really hard to reform reshape thor and man does it ever land here like this is one of the best parts of the film drax he has some unbelievably hilarious lines and he just delivers them with that deadpan voice like the the audience was just howling at this scene like it's it's one of the best and it's it kind of gives you this this brief moment of levity in the film like there's a lot of scenes in here where you get a few quips that are funny this pauses the whole film for a little bit gives you a little bit of exposition about xandar the reality stone what thanos is doing kind of catches you up with the guardians and does it with kind of this comedic tone to it and it really helps give you a little break because we're getting some intense stuff before this some really intense stuff after this i like this pause i like this ability to sit back laugh reintroduce ourselves and also work in some exposition like it, it really worked for me i wonder just how much or if at all maybe i'm completely wrong but james gunn had to have been on the set with the russo brothers as they're filming this stuff like he had to be there i wouldn't be shocked if one day we learn that he actually directed those scenes yeah, I have to agree with you. I I don't know if this is a rumor or where I heard this, but I think he wrote a lot of that. It like, wouldn't it does not shock me whatsoever. Because it feels like and this is I think exactly what you're hitting on. It doesn't feel like another director has taken these characters and done something slightly different with right. them. Like it it feels like I watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two last night because I enjoyed that scene so much. As I was writing up this review, I wanted to go back and revisit that. There, there's no difference in characterization here. It, it just it goes along and elevates all of these characters. It escalates the situation and adding Thor in here and Hemsworth. Like he's he went from one of the most boring MCU characters <laughs> to one of the best yeah. in this in the succession of these two movies. Like I want a Thor four more than ever now. I want him to interact with these guys more. I, uh, it's again pairings really mattered in this film they took the time and thought out who works with who how yeah. do we leverage one character to another to make it feel organic and this is one of the best ones when you think about the 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 pairing that they made of thor and noble rabbit <laughs> go back five years four yes. years even three years go even last year if we had told you that those two guys would be paired up for a large part of this movie You'd probably say, are, you, are these guys insane? Who's in charge here? Like, why are they putting Thor and Rocket Raccoon together? How is that going to work? It makes no sense. But it works so well. Yes. And I think it's so funny, their uh, relationship, because, you know, Rocket is pretty standoffish. He'll let you know what's going through his mind. But I think Thor calls him Rabbit countless amount of times. Yeah. And he never once corrects him. I think the first time he's kind of like, <laughs> Rabbit? Hmm. But then after that, he, he, he likes it. He's down with it. Yeah. I just thought that was so funny because he never corrects him after a while. No, it yeah. is great. And the, and the nice thing about this too, and you, you call this out, Kyle, is that is Thor is put alongside Doctor Strange into the driver's seat here because you go back a couple of weeks ago, the Russos said Thanos has the most screen time followed by Thor. Yeah. And Thor has his own journey in this. Like he's somewhat disjointed from the overall progression of the Infinity Stone Thanos arc. He's off doing his own thing. He's getting this thanos killer this new weapon 
And then we'd seen images of this from the action figures and some of the promo art and that. So we kind of knew where this was going. But when they hop in a ship and they end up, I can't even say it, Nad Villar or something like that. It's it's from the comic books. It's the whole reference from the original Thor about the hammer was forged in the heart of a dying star. <laughs> they go in, they have this, this huge sequence that split over kind of a good chunk of the movie here. But again, it could have felt more disjointed. But it, it was rolled in transition so well into this film that his appearance later on with the hammer was that much more impactful because you saw what he went through to get the hammer. It's not like he just showed up with it. He goes through this whole thing with Peter Dinklage's character there. You learn how Thanos, in the meantime, got the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, I, I got to hear what you guys think about this whole eventual sequence and this journey that Thor goes on that is a bit separate from the whole story that's being told by the majority of the rest of the characters. Yeah, you know, this part for me, I, I get what they're trying to do. I, I like this, was it Stormbreaker? Yeah. That he goes into. I, I like that. That's cool. Obviously, I like seeing him and Rocket together. But Peter Dinklage uh, didn't really work for me that well. I thought he was a little dry. I don't know if it's the voice or just the, the effects of his look. It didn't really necessarily work for me, but I, I, it made sense that you had to do it. But it feels like three steps up from the hot tub. Thor hot tub machine or whatever <laughs> in uh in uh what was it uh age of, ultron. age of ultron so it was okay but it's just it's probably one of those scenes where i'm like maybe i could just kind of skip this a little bit but you need it like yeah. it's very important for the film right but it's just not my favorite scene i like seeing thor acknowledge that he needed that weapon yes he needed a, a mjolnir back he needed something back if he was going to go back and kick thanos's ass which he fully believes he's going to do but he needs he needs his toy. He needs something to do that with. So it's a little side adventure. It's can we call this the Canto bite of? of uh, <laughs> you read my mind <laughs> of Infinity War. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. I think the the key for me with this scene is is it makes his appearance in Wakanda. Yeah. That I was actually shocked at because I by the time we get to Wakanda, I kind of forgotten about Thor. And maybe that's a bit of a consequence of this side journey is that he goes on it. And I never really thought forward in the film, which again is a testament that I'm in the moment. But I never really thought, okay, when's Thor going to show back up? Mm -hmm. But when he shows back up, I'm like, whoa. And then he has this weapon. I'm pleased that they went on that journey. And then that's how we get Rocket, Groot, and Thor introduced. But I'm also, in retrospect, looking at it. And it took Thor to the picture for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Did we need it? Yes. Is it important? Yes. But does it... Maybe it's Peter Dinklage that. Yeah. And I, at first, when he first, I thought it was gonna be Pip the troll. Yeah, because that's what the predictions were too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the troll, like it's this, this character that's commonly placed alongside and within Jim Starling's Thanos books. Like he's in Infinity War. He's in a lot of, I think, in the follow-up novels or books and all that. And maybe that's being a bit presumptuous. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Pip the troll, but he did play a dwarf. So it, it, yeah, it was it was fine, but it was probably one of the scenes that. You need, but you don't need. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's kind of hard to explain. execution? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like, but, when it comes to... When this movie comes home on Blu-ray, it might be the sequence that I skip past. Yeah. yeah. If I'm short for time, I will skip that chapter and just keep moving. Yeah. It's really, I think, the thing that, that makes it feel a lot stronger is the Rocket Raccoon Thor stuff. Definitely. Them interacting together. You get a nice sequence where you get Thor... Showing his biceps off, <laughs> doing his thing. I like it for for that for the rocket Thor stuff. You could probably skip a lot of it, and some of it is a bit of exposition to explain the gauntlet. 
right. in a bit more detail because they spend a bit of time in Ragnarok again trying to answer that question. This one's a fake. Yes. So there's a whole bunch of them out there, but it was really this dwarf that allowed me to get this gone. So it kind of it does a little bit more exposition than maybe need be. Like, did we need to know that stuff? Probably not. We kind of just get it. Do we get that sequence though between Rocket and Thor here where he has like that heart to heart moment? Is it around this time when yeah. Thor basically tells him all the failures he's gone through? Yeah, that when he's talking about his like his mother. Yeah, and his, yeah that's on the ship. On the okay, model, yeah. okay, because that I really like. I I think that's Patrick one of the best scenes of Thor, like acting chops wise. That's yeah. incredible because he's he's trying to hold it together, but he's still kind of joking about it. Yeah, that's a tough scene to pull off, and he he killed it. Yeah, especially okay. acting in front of just like like you know a CGI character. Yeah, and I think that was a little banter between him and Peter when he's like, "Well, my brother just died, and then my father died, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I had to kill my sister." Well, I think it was with Rocket because remember Rocket's like, "Ah, oh, okay, I have to do this moment, this heart to heart moment," and he walks over, oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You are right. So, um, oh, I just thought I thought that was great. Chris Hemsworth just killed it. Yeah, yeah. he is incredible. Yeah, in this film. so good. So after we kind of leave the the Thor rocket stuff. So there's a couple scenes split up there, but we end up back on nowhere with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now this is a place that we visit in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. I really enjoyed that aspect of this of that film and this film, but we're here with Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax, Mantis and they're out to find the collector. Now I got to ask you guys a question here. I don't know if it was just me, but in this sequence where you have Thanos in exchanging with the collector himself. It says it's Benicio del Toro. I didn't think it was him. Oh, I didn't like, think like, so either. It because they spent a lot of time hiding his face. Like he was on the ground, and then he has hands in front of his face. Oh yeah, that's weird. And yeah. it didn't look like him or sound like him. I don't know what the deal was. So it, it was kind of a weird that that's kind of took me out a little bit the first viewing. So I'm like. Is that Benicio del Toro? Did they rehire an actor? Like, what's the deal here? Like, mm. I didn't understand. Like, I liked that he was in the film, but I just couldn't. And even second viewing, really, I'm looking at him like this does not look like him. Like, did <laughs> did you get that same vibe? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And then I, I in the credits, he's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's it, but it's really bizarre. It did not resemble him at all. <laughs> no, n- not even close. Really, I never blinked twice at it. Didn't. Uh... It didn't do anything for me, but maybe I was just so keen and focused on on Thanos, it probably just went right over yeah. my head. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think this is a, is a good spot where we're going to pause here and talk about Thanos. You know, we've seen quite a few sequences with him building into this moment, but this is when we start to get the crux of his relationship with Gamora. Now, he has the reality stone, he's anticipated her arrival, and he shows what he's done to Nora, essentially destroyed it. He's got this stone, and this is where we get Gamora killing thanos or the reality stone version of thanos her having this emotional reaction and then thanos in exchange again demonstrating how much he really loves gamora you have peter quill wanting to kill her he stops that from happening drax and manis are disabled but this relationship between thanos and gamora they do the flashback scene where we have the Jatari invasion of their planet killing half the planet they try to make thanos a sympathetic villain do you guys buy into that from this sequence on Nowhere and the flashback sequence? I do. I really do. I mean, this is a guy who's intent on killing trillions of people across the galaxy. Yet, the the backstory they build for him, that from his perspective, all he wants to do is just put the galaxy in a position to to be able to sustain itself. And it's not like he's trying to wipe out only poor people. Or only this group, or only that group. He's saying it's it's random. 
rich, poor, everybody's going to be affected by this. And it's just putting the galaxy back into a position where it's balanced. He sees nothing wrong with it. I buy his perspective that he's, that he's trying, he's honest with his motives. Yes. And later on in the film, I forget who it is, but they ask him like, and then what, once you do this, what are you going to do? I go back, I, I, I kick back in my rocking chair and I, Know that the that we we now live in a grateful, balanced universe. Something to that effect. Watch the sunset. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's not in it. Like he's not must, like twirling a mustache, just looking to sit on a throne and be the king and have everybody uh, kissing his feet. This is he has a purpose and he wants to accomplish a goal, and it doesn't seem to be selfishly driven. No. No. What are you thinking, Troy? What yeah. are you thinking about Thanos in this film as a whole? Oh, just just great. Like like I mentioned before, you know, Marvel went from being a joke when it came to dealing with villains to having, I'm going to say right now, the best villain I've ever seen next to Vader. You know, not not just in comic book movies, but in general. I think Thanos was fantastic. And his motives were very clear. And you could understand in a mad way where he was going at. And, you know... he the chosen one he wants to bring balance i guess across the board here so no all around his motives were great uh you could see that he always had love for gamora which was very important because if you take that away then it would be a little hard to understand where he's coming from like if they were to do a direct adaptation from you know the original thanos in the comics wouldn't necessarily transition well no on the big screen but here they found something that really works and it's so great that gamora can't even see it Yes. You know, herself, she can't even see it. And But as an audience, I'm pretty sure as an audience, we could all see that. So, yeah, I, I just think well executed. Well, well executed. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you guys there. Thanos is, outside of maybe Killmonger, my mm. favorite MCU villain and probably one of the top villains of all time. Yeah. I think the motivations they put behind this character are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, he's on this righteous crusade to put the, the universe in balance. And you believe it. Like, if you take this as a Thanos story, he is the protagonist in this film, and the Avengers are the antagonists. Like, it's it's unbelievable that from a certain perspective, you can see the villain's point or what's meant to be the villain. I don't think he's a villain. He's in the villain role, but he plays much more than that. And I think that's what makes this character really resonate with Everybody that sees this, I talked to your wife, my wife after we saw this, and they all love Thanos. They could have really fallen into what Thanos maybe could have been in this, I want to destroy and sit on this throne. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't have worked in this film. It wouldn't have landed if it was about punching Thanos. If it was about him wanting to come and kill and find death's favor right. like you do in the comic books. This makes the villain matter. This makes his motivations believable and it makes you buy into his story. And that's so important in these films because outside of that, this is where the MCU, as you've referenced, kind of collapses. Is that if you don't have a, a villain that you can believe in their motives and they themselves believe they're doing the right thing and that's perceived by the audience, it really hinders the movie. And Thanos, for me, hits on every level if not more i believe that he believes that he's doing the right thing that he has this emotional arc in this film that to me kind of came out of absolutely nowhere yep. you look at that grin from avengers number one yep. in 2012 that's a grin of i'm going to kill everyone and i don't care and i want to rule the universe yep. this character is very different than what they were thinking mm -hmm. 
even just six years ago. Yeah. And so to me, this film, it has the, the heroes, it has the journeys they go on and the, the big moments with them, but it's nothing without this character of Thanos. Yeah. I, I absolutely love what they did here. Because it's, it's unbelievable. We've never seen the hero's journey done in the villain's perspective. And no. I just think it's it's so great. And I, I got to say that the special effects on this character oh. is like no other. You know, you can always tell with CG when it's a little funny just by the eyes. Acting in general is all through the eyes. And you look at Josh Brolin. Because I feel like I'm looking at Josh Brolin throughout this whole film. And I'm just like, wow, you've done something on an Andy Circus level, honestly, yes. if not even a little bit more. It's it's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely crazy what he's done in this film. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, it's something else. Yeah. Something else. And now, this this really leads us. This relationship between Thanos and Gamora, you had to buy into this mm-hmm. almost immediately. They, they didn't have enough, a lot of time to really develop this because the essence of that relationship is so important for the discovery of the Soul Stone. So this is a stone that we've seen no reference to really in the MCU. We all thought it was coming in Ragnarok. Then we all thought it was coming in Black, Black Panther. Panther. It never showed up. We we theorized that was it in Tony Stark? Like, right. Was Tony yeah. Stark an Infinity Stone? Was because he's the soul of the MCU? Yeah. It's all these random theories. The Thanos theory that really doesn't come to fruition here. But that that relationship is really important for this next sequence, and it's when Thanos and Gamora traveled to Voromir to get the soul stone. Now, <laughs> this next part, audible gasps from the entire audience. I was sitting beside Troy here. I literally reached over and grabbed him like he was my wife <laughs> and like held his arm. And both him and I were like, just at the, the appearance of this cloaked figure who I immediately thought was death. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it turned out to be the freaking red skull. Kyle, my man, like, did you have that same reaction that we got in our theaters when they kind of revealed who that was? A hundred percent. We, you know, you could hear the voice, but I'm not connecting any dots yet. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's not, uh, it wasn't, what's his name? Hugo Weaving. Right. Yep. It wasn't him. So if it was, maybe I would have said, oh my God. But to that point, you don't really get anything until you cut to his face and you're like, oh. <gasps> Holy cow, I can't believe it's Red Skull. He's still around. This is incredible. Like, just, even that, just seeing that makes your head want to just run away thinking about the possibilities of what that might mean for the future. Yes. But you can't. You got to stay in the moment. You got to just. These Russos are killing me. But you got to <laughs> stick in the moment. You got to just pay attention to what's going on because. This, I mean, like you guys, we're, we're, like we're getting at what happens in this scene that follows it it blew my mind yes. i did not see this one coming whatsoever no no like try let me in on some of those thoughts this, of red this, skull it, it, this was crazy man my mind was absolutely blown this is marvel's best kept secret yes um had no idea this is coming this is very much like my yoda moment um from last jedi when yoda appeared i was just like blown away um i was, I was right there with you i thought this was death coming i was like okay they are going the death route interesting and then you hear their voice but like you it's not I'm not connecting the dots no. and then turns around and at first like is that hugo weaving like is he back and found out it's another actor ross from the walking dead but wow i was just blown away what he did and it made so much sense like the way they retcon that from the first avenger to yes. here 2011 he yeah. disappeared blew my mind and we've always been asking every movie when are we going to see him back every time there's a cat movie announced when are we going to see this guy back uh, so good. Do, do you guys think we could possibly see him come back now? Like, is he going to be appearing in, a, in another film? What do you guys think? You know, 
for me, I think this appearance is should be the end of the mm-hmm. Red Skull. Him coming back in another film or as a villain later really takes away from this scene. Right. Because he's essentially said he's, you know, he's been cursed with the burden of leading people to the Soul Stone. Mm-hmm. And I think if you add him in anywhere else, other than maybe some weird reference in Avengers 4 that has to do with some cosmic end of the Soul Stone and all that. Because I think there's a big implication for Gamora and the Soul Stone later mm-hmm. on. But I think you need to leave him here. Mm. Because like this is like one of the best reveals of all time, you know? <laughs> I, th- I think it's a moment where I'm happy that I was alone at the to go see this movie. Like, I didn't have Corey with me. I didn't have any buddies with me. I just went by myself because I, I, if I knew somebody sitting to my left or right, I probably would have Charlie horsed them right <laughs> in that spot, you know, like right there. <laughs> I, I would have slammed that person with, with the knuckle right in that spot, and they would have been very upset with me. But I wouldn't have been able to prevent it. Like, I'm sorry. That's That would have been my natural, honest reaction is to punch somebody. Yeah. I would love if there's a camera on Troy and I in that theater. Like, like I, I just can't. My reaction was like one of the most real reactions right. I've ever had. Because you know we're 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 in this podcasting thing. We go through a lot of spoilers with Star Wars, Marvel, all that. So we often at times have a good idea of how things are going to develop. Yeah. And this movie did really well at keeping that secret. And also the th- to me, Thanos was a big secret of this. Yeah about him leading this film mm-hmm. and they're able to keep both of those under wraps and no one spoiled that. Like that Thank was, goodness. that was a real moment for me of surprise. Like, I don't think, think I've ever felt like that. No, ever. Like no. I did not, that wasn't even close to being on my radar. It was crazy. Just seeing his mask, you know, it's kind of decayed a bit because yeah. he's been there for so long and wow, what a great reveal they've just pulled off yeah. there. Yeah. And then it's followed up by another fantastic scene. Kyle, you alluded to this. This is a big moment for Thanos. This this moment of sacrifice, a huge theme in this film, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. is sacrifice. Thanos is told by the Red Skull he must sacrifice the one he loves. And you, you brought this up, Troy, that Gamora can't even see this. Mm-hmm. He starts to cry. This is a big moment. And he's willing to sacrifice the one thing he loves for his cause. The way he saves the universe is to sacrifice the one thing. Later on, he references it to a small Gamora. What did this cost? Everything. His everything was Gamora. Mm-hmm. You had to buy into that from earlier. And man, did it land. Yeah, it is an incredible shot too when it slows down. Actually, you, I think Gamora, you know, she's obviously laughing like, ah, you've lost, you can't do it. And it's Red Skull that breaks the news. Yeah. And he's like, he's mourning over you basically. And you're just like, oh shoot. And even though we already knew what was going on, everything kind of comes together. And the look on um, Gamora's face is just unreal. She, she's great too in this oh, film. She's she's just fantastic. And so the shot that we get when she's throwing off the, the Bill and Ted ex- excellent adventure kind of shot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it, it was just fantastic. Did not see that coming, but it made sense, you yes, know, it it's like right there the whole time on her face, but I never predicted she was going to bite it in this film. No, never. There's uh, up until that moment, I, I think it becomes obvious to the viewer, even if it's not obvious to Gamora that, oh, my God, he's he has to kill Gamora to make this happen. And in the back of your mind, you're just thinking. Somebody's going to show up here to bail her out. Somehow somebody's going to save her. I don't I don't know how. Somebody's figured this out. But no, like you just see her plummet off that cliff and then you see her dead body just at the bottom almost like family guy style with the like the broken yes. limbs like, oh, and the and the green blood kind of pooling out of her. Okay. They went that far. Holy cow. Yeah, they took that to, to kind of the extreme there. And I didn't expect it. I like, like you're saying, I was expecting someone to show up. 
But I, I have a, a theory I'm going to throw out there, and I want to hear you guys' opinion on this. I think Gamora, her essence, her soul, is trapped in the Soul Stone, and that is how eventually she... Whether, whether that's going to be a plot point in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 or something in Infinity War Part 2, I don't think her character is dead. Because you go and you reflect on the comic books, this is something that's going on right now. She's trapped in the Soul Stone. You saw this at Adam Warlock as well, mm. trapped in the Soul Stone. I think this is the direction they're going to go, and we're going to see some pretty wild stuff going into this cosmic end of Marvel. Do you guys think that Gamora is proper dead, or do you think something like that could potentially happen? Like, will we see her eventually in Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy? You got to. You can't have this Guardians movie without Gamora. You can't. The, the, the tone completely goes away. You, you lose half of Peter Quill's character. He loves her. Like, their dynamic just being ripped out like that. That that takes away a lot to me, and I, I don't know about you guys. Like this is, I guess it's just a personal weird thing for me. But if you take her out now, like I, I don't want to see her in like a prequel type movie. Yeah, no. You, you know what I mean? Like same same would apply to Valkyrie. Like if they ever decided to do a, a Valkyrie's movie that was set pre Infinity War, with, uh, this is me assuming that Valkyrie was dead in this film. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see a movie set in the, in the past where she's still alive. I want to know what's happening now. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I I don't know. I think, um, she's definitely gonna come back. You got, you got to bring her back. I mean, there's Disneyland rides with this lady out there performing. So you got to bring her back, but I think they might do a, um, a Nebula trade-off. I think they're going to trade. I think she will do some kind of sacrifice for her sister and Gamora will come back for her place and they'll, boot her out because i don't see her making it out of this whole thing no so um well it's one of our predicted deaths yes nebula. yeah that, that's right that's right we started off so good too eh? yeah <laughs> <laughs> all three got loki right yeah yeah i think i think your point there is well taken because this this theme of sacrifice that, I, that i've hit on a few times here my 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 whole idea behind what is gonna happen and the stakes of this movie yeah as we get towards the end here we see a lot of characters die. A lot of it's going to be reversed, yeah. but it's going to be at the sacrifice of our mainstay characters. Yeah. We do not trade lives. They're going to have to trade lives to get these characters back. That is going to be the crux of Avengers Infinity War Part 2. Trading lives. Yeah. Cap, Iron Man, whomever is going to go permanently mm-hmm. has to go to bring back the likes of Spider-Man, Black Panther, the other half of the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's not going to be a simple use the time zone to reverse things they're not going to go down that path. The Russos have explicitly said that this movie, the decisions they made for this, they, they didn't not take them lightly. They did not take them in the comic book esque opinion of, well, we can do whatever we want because we can reverse the next movie. There's going to be things that matter and stakes in this film. It may not be directly who we see die, but there's going to be something big later on. And this theme of sacrifice, it keeps coming back up. It's kind of right there in front of your face, trading lives. It's going to be a big thing going forward, I think, into part two of this whole sequence of this whole series. Avengers 4 Trading Lives. Yes, I like Trading that Lives. <laughs> With Eddie Murphy. Yes. <laughs> now, this, this really sets our, the, the final stage for our two big battles. At this point, Thanos has gotten four of the six Infinity Stones. We've got the Mind Stone on Titan with the crew there. And then we've also got, sorry, the Time Stone on Titan with Stephen Strange, right. and we've got the Mind Stone that is taken to Wakanda by Steve Rogers and the rest of the Avengers for this final showdown between the Mad Titan Thanos 
and the two different groups, the spacefaring group and the earthbound group. Now we're going to start with the battle on Titan here and kind of go through this, the battle for the time stone. Stark, Peter Parker, Doctor Strange, that they arrive on Titan quickly followed by the Guardians of the Galaxy from at, at the discretion of Nebula. Now, this is a great huge pairing. I love having all these guys together. Again, it's nice to see the Guardians going from interacting directly with Thor to really doing something different with Spider-Man, yeah. Doctor Strange, and Iron Man. But to me, it really works. Pairing Pratt and Robert Downey Jr. up, absolutely brilliant. And having Peter Parker stand back in the background, just like why? Like I felt like it was audience perspective watching this going on. Yeah. Like why? And then you got Drax. And Mantis kind of standing, like not paying attention. Yeah. They're trying to formulate this plan. It's, it's, it's again, really well executed. Did you guys like the vibe that this kind of side Avengers crew and the Guardians of the Galaxy were giving off in this whole kind of early Titan sequence? I love this. I thought this was so funny. This is probably one of my biggest laughs, too, in the film is, you know, Peter Quill's talking about, I think, Footloose. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's the, the best movie ever. And Peter Parker's like, it never was. <laughs> you know? The way he delivers it is fantastic. When you got Mantis and Drax trying to use, like, human terms. And yeah. Peter and Stark are just looking at, like, the camera. Like, what is going on? So I, I really love the dynamic between all those characters. This scene, Star-Lord, you get to interact with humans. Again, is great because we've yeah. never seen that before with him and Earthling. So all around is great. Obviously, Drax is cool. My only thing with Drax is I feel like... They're kind of sacrificing so much of his humor for his fighting ability. Like, yeah. We haven't seen him do anything since the beginning of Guardians 2 where he fought that squid thing. Yeah. After that, he's just become like a comedic relief, which is okay. But I kind of want a little bit more of a balance to like the assassin that he used to be, right? Well, yeah, like he, he's specifically built to kill Thanos in the comic books. Exactly. Right. Like, that's his main purpose. He's reincarnated after being killed, his whole family being killed by Thanos with the sole purpose of pursuing Thanos and killing him. And you never really get that mm -hmm. in any of the films. Mm -hmm. He does serve a purpose. It's to bring a little levity to some of these more intense scenes. Yeah. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this This first sequence or the first part of the sequence here on Titan? Well, I, I'll just back it up to when they meet on that donut ship. Yes. <laughs> and you have um, the battle with, with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Iron Man against, again, Ebony I forget Ma. his name. Right. And and Spider-Man gives that reference to the old movie. <laughs> And this is him just picking up from where he left off in, in Civil War with the Empire Strikes Back reference. And he's got another Aliens reference here. It They sell me at every turn here. And then they bring it down to Titan and to layer in the the Guardians on top of it. it it's, it's all movie magic, man. It all works out so well. The battle with Thanos is great. And it's also kind of devastating because they're so close. Yes. Here are these, these, these little heroes and individually they should not be able to get to thanos the way they do but they just they were right there they had him yeah they he, had him and quill screwed it all up <laughs> <laughs> the love of gamora screwed this up <laughs> no but you're right because it's a great display of every character you get a lot from dr strange in here going from him using the time stone to go in the future and seeing oh, all the yeah. different outcomes, 14 million different yes. outcomes. Yeah. and that really leads on to what why he gives up the time stone to him using all of his different power sets to hold back thanos you get him using the the kind of transport with quill on and spider-man Spider and they they utilize each different power set and pair it with other individuals 
to make everything look and feel really cool. Like talking about splash pages in a comic book, this is a huge one. And this interplay that you get of characters that you wouldn't normally see side by side unless you're in a big event comic or event film it really works both on the fighting level as well as the kind of the back and forth you get between the individual characters like i'm thoroughly engaged with this fight on on titan and when you get mantis entering the picture at the oh, end here yeah. putting him somewhat to sleep mm-hmm. and you've got stark and parker pulling off the gauntlet yelling like stark's or robert downer jr's delivery when he's yelling at quill is unbelievable and then you got quill face to face crying screaming at thanos like it's a very intense scene mm-hmm. you've got a lot going on there but at the same time the directors have been able to to give you enough focus that all of it going on it doesn't kind of overlap with each other too much if you know what i'm saying you see downey in the background yep. yelling and screaming you, you you're really focused on quill and then you've got Thanos, who's for the first time been relatively subdued. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great scene. I absolutely love it. Like like you guys said, the fight scene here, really, really well executed. It's so cool. And I've never seen that scene. And I was, just, I was like, Peter, you dropped it. Like, Star-Lord, man. Like, you screwed everything up. But, you know, at the same time, I guess it wouldn't have worked anyways. Because out of those 14 million different kind of outcomes, if he did happen to you know, taking off the glove, he probably would have just won anyways. Yeah. You know? So, um, oh man, it's just a great scene. One of the, so much action in this film and it's just so well executed, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, did you guys think that Tony Stark was going to die in this scene? He goes toe to toe with Thanos. It's a great fight yeah. sequence. Tony throws everything at him to get a drop of blood. Now, I think they really missed an opportunity to say something along the lines, if you can make God bleed, you prove that he's not, like something along those lines, right? Um, and that, that's the whole thing, right? If you can make a god bleed. <laughs> Where's Sanjay? Yeah. <laughs> Where's Sanjay? <laughs> There's also a predator joke in there. Yeah. If it bleeds, you can kill it. <laughs> but uh, like, I thought Stark was done here. Like, it, the, the music really, really gets to you here. You've got Tony Stark and you've got Thanos making the reference, I really hope they remember you. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh my God, he's talking to the audience. Yeah. Like, did you, did you guys get that vibe, Kyle? Did you get that vibe that Stark was going to die in this sequence? A hundred percent. Like that, he was. It was. It, I think across fandom, it's who's going to get it. Which of the Avengers will die? And everybody's saying Iron Man or Cap. It's one of the two. It's, we thought one of those two guys were was was gone. I thought Cap was going to be gone. I'm sure somebody here thought that Iron Man might have gotten it. And you see him just get run through with that piece of steel or uh, the broken piece of Iron Man's suit. I'm like, That's it. This is where Tony Stark dies. Yeah. And then well, he doesn't. No, <laughs> he's got that. He doesn't. Uh, that foam spray in, in, in what's left of his suit, which somehow made him all better. But I really thought that we were done with Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was right there. Going back to the last episode, I predicted Iron Man is going to die for sure. And, you know, going off in this film at the beginning when him and Pepper are talking about their life together and these dreams, I'm like, yeah, they're seeing it right here. Yeah. He's, he's going to die. And we get to that scene and I was like, whoa, like. He's he's done. Like this is this is pretty pretty sad. My heart's racing. It's jumping. Thanos is about to execute him, and I'm like, here we go. And then he survived. I was like, wow, okay. He's he's gonna make it out. I still think he's gonna must he must die in the next one. I don't see him going any further. But then again, I said the exact same thing with this film, and he made it on top. So <laughs> well, who, <laughs> going who to knows? De- yeah, going to death. I thought Captain America was done in Civil War. <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> but yeah, little do we know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a much bigger arc here, and. This this leads us into the eventuality of Doctor Strange giving up the Mind Stone for again to save Tony Stark. So a kind of a sacrifice. Sorry, time Stone. 
Time stone. Did yeah. I say mind stone yeah. again? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> time stone. <laughs> Giving up the time stone to save Tony Stark. And that's one thing I also like what they did with Thanos is that he doesn't unnecessarily kill people. Yes. He has this this idea, I'm going to kill half of everyone. That That's in his mind. But he doesn't go so far down the kind of villain route Well, he takes the mind stone and then kills Stark anyways. Right. Like they very, they very much could have done that. And well, it's you know it's funny you mentioned that Tim, right now as you mentioned that there's a line from the trailer which I'm not sure appears in the film where he says uh, uh, something to the effect that this is kind of fun. Yes, they, you are right. They I don't know that that appears in the movie, which it doesn't. It's a big misdirect I think because in the in the trailer you got this sense that oh Thanos is, is bloodthirsty, but if that line was in the film. It, it it's incoherent. It's it's incompatible with the tone we're getting with Thanos. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like that in there changes Thanos. Just that one line. It makes it, it more of a sport for him. Like killing exactly. is fun. Ha ha ha. But you're right. Like he doesn't kill just for no reason. Yeah, he, he has a very set purpose for killing and doing it outside of protecting himself or sacrificing for the greater good as he feels. There, there's no need to go because you go back to nowhere. Like he could have killed all the guardians there. Yeah. You know, I, I, when he shot down Drax and Mantis, I was like, okay, they're, they're done for the movie. Yeah. But he doesn't. So I, I like that about the character. It's not about unnecessary killing. It's about getting, you know, accomplishing his objective and then doing what he has to do. Yeah. It's not about, oh, I got to kill the Avengers because they're trying to stop me to get to my end goal. I'm going to get there. And then the universe will decide, or the Infinity Stones will decide who lives and who dies. Right. So yeah, that, that's another great point on on Thanos. But going to to Wakanda. So this was seeded earlier on in the movie with Rogers bringing the whole group, including Vision, to Wakanda with this idea of Wakanda having this ability to protect Vision and the Mind Stone. Now this is this is where I'm going to have my my slight gripe that I alluded to earlier on in the review here is that. Vision has the Mind Stone embedded him. Him and Rogers have this exchange about no trading lives. And to me, this is the only part of the plot that doesn't make complete sense to me. Because it seems like they're willing to sacrifice a lot of individuals for Vision's life. Like, does that make 100% sense to you? Like, does, does it make sense that... Vision himself is worth all the Wakandan lives, or should they have gone down the path of, say, Vision's body was rejecting them trying to take the stone out and defending itself, and then therefore they had to get the stone out of his head before they could destroy it. So it wasn't about saving Vision, it was about getting the stone out of his head. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you guys' thoughts on them using Vision or the idea of saving Vision as kind of one of the key points in Wakanda as opposed to? having to destroy the stone itself. Hmm. That is a, that's a tough one, man. I had not considered that whatsoever. Uh, it, it is interesting. I always thought that the mind stone, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm partially ignorant on the history of a lot of these characters, but I partially thought that the mind stone is what made vision tick. And maybe it is, but they did make the, the reference in this movie that if you remove it, maybe, you keep the best parts of Vision. Vision yes. will be fine without the Mind Stone. And in fact, maybe he'll be better. I was confused by that. I was caught off guard by that. So uh, I, I, I'm curious to hear, hear what you guys say about this as people who know the character better. 
Yeah, that's a tricky one. I, I kind of like where you're going with that angle where it's like you can almost treat like a symbiote as yes. like the, the, the gem itself or the stone is rejecting being taken away from yeah. its host. Or, yeah, Than- host. yeah, Thanos or not Thanos. Uh, Vision is his body is saying, no, you can't take it. Yeah. So anytime they try to destroy <clears throat> it, they, they, they can't do it. They have right. to get it out of him. Right. <clears throat> no, I do like that perspective. I just don't know how they would have been able to crunch it in time because then you'd have to develop a sequence of vision, you know, fighting off some of the Wakandas, the Wakandans, anyways, right? So or just Wanda, like she ma- she makes that that decision earlier on in the film to say, "Look, we can sacrifice you because we think we can get you back." Mm-hmm. She tries to do it, and she ends up being disabled for part of the film or something right. like that. And then they say, "No, we need to take the or him to Wakanda. Right. We need to get the stone out of him. Then we can destroy it." Mm-hmm. Or he can destroy it or something like that because it just felt like it was an unfair trade. Like we're going to try to save the vision, mm-hmm. but at, at the, the cost, cost of hundreds of Wakandan soldiers. Right, exactly. Defeats the purpose almost, Yeah, right? so it kind of mixes up that idea of trading lives or making sacrifices. Mm-hmm. To me, it would have flowed a little better if the sacrifice was vision in a sense or I don't know. Like I, I, just, I was thinking about this today that that's the only beat that doesn't make 100% sense to me like it's, right. it falls a little flat for me because you're saving one life by sacrificing a whole bunch more right and it's it's not about we're bringing vision or bringing the mind stone here to protect it we're bringing it here to get it out of vision separate yeah and so th- yeah, there's a little shuri disconnect the tech, there for right me. what's that it's because shuri had the tech and the ability to do it right and i guess the only way it kind of makes sense is that it's never clear how much time they have until Thanos arrives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So maybe that's where you bend your, your brain to make that work because, Oh, if, if we have time, well, we've got enough time to go to Wakanda and, and have Shuri take it out. Yeah. Turns out they had yeah, zero mere hours. Yeah. I guess you can justify it that way. Yeah. That, that, that I, I do like, that makes me feel a little better about it. <laughs> Even just thinking of it that way. But what are you guys thoughts on the, this, this final battle? Like we got a lot of this from the trailer there's some really great moments in here with the arrival of Thor at one point. Mm-hmm. We get Banner in the Hulkbuster armor. We get some great stuff from T'Challa and Steve Rogers, them sprinting to the front lines yes. to face these outriders, this cannon fodder army that Thanos has or that, that his uh, lieutenants have there. Like on, on a grand battle, this being kind of your, your climax, if you will, as far as battle scenes go. Um, amongst the two of them, I would say. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this? We'll throw this to, to Kyle here. I don't want to sound ungrateful. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, you know, all these big battles at the end, they're all, all the time just so good that this, you know, I'm watching this one unfold and I'm like, yeah, huge army, huge cannon fodder army, heroes smashing it up. It's, it's spectacular. Look at all these people flexing their muscles and <laughs> using their powers. It's incredible. Like I've, I don't want to say I've seen this before, but we've seen this before. So it was really the kind of the typical climax of a film for me. It's really in the payoff and the aftermath of it yeah. that really got me. Cause this, this, I was like, okay, I mean, I'm entertained, but I'm not, Oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. Like it's, it's, we've been down this road a little bit. Yeah. 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 No, I was kind of hoping we were getting a bit more. I thought we were going to get a little bit of like that, um, battle of the bastards episode from game of thrones like is, is a well well directed episode with this huge army broke out in battle i was hoping we get something more like that i do like we got to see mbaku show up and yeah. then him and um t'challa you know really embraced each other i thought that was great especially coming off the heels of black panther obviously so i thought that worked well it's cool to see t'challa 
and uh, Cap take on the army. The army themselves, you know, the faceless kind of villains, whatever, they, they were okay. I liked seeing some of the air fights too with uh, with Falcon. Yeah. And Bucky and, um, and Rocket oh, yeah. was great. Oh, man, that was so good yeah, between he, the two. I am Steve Rogers. I love that because he's so <laughs> sincere. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's so good, that part. So it worked for me. It's not one of my highlights of the film, but uh, it, it served its purpose, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I have to agree with you guys. Like, I, I really enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. for me, the best parts of it weren't so much the fighting. It was the different character pairings that you got throughout. So this is something that you know we've commented on numerous times, but seeing... You know, Rocket and Winter Soldier do the thing, and this weird interaction with with Thor saying to Cap, "You know, oh, yeah, I see you've copied my beard." <laughs> like all of those interactions of what is what elevated that scene for me, and doing that in the midst of this giant battle, I thought was really cool. But yeah. again, it's more or less a means to an end. We get the destruction of a good chunk of this army when Thor shows up. We've got the death of the two last lieutenants in Proxima Midnight mm-hmm. um, in Call Obsidian and eventually Corvus Clade, who goes after Vision who kind of enters the fight here. We've got this really cool sequence with Wanda, um, the head of Dora Milaje, uh, Black Widow in Proxima Midnight. So a lot of really great character interactions here. A lot of great fight sequences. But it really comes down to this last and this big payoff battle with the arrival of Thanos. We get to see each villain more or less go one-on-one. You know, Steve Rogers does a big hand catch and then gets punched in the head. I thought, okay, that's it for Rogers. You know, we get the crippling of War Machine, of the Hulkbuster suit. Everyone takes a shot at Thanos and has very little success. And then you've got them going face-to-face with Wanda and Vision Mm -hmm. and the use of the Time Stone to bring Vision back. And finally, Thanos getting that last, the Mind Stone here. And then you got entry of Thor. Yeah. Like, did, did you guys like how they built into Thanos finally getting his hands on all these stones, having the individual battles here? It was terrific. Really, it was really well done. Uh, just as he, as, he, as the battle's reaching its climax and Thor enters the picture and you feel you feel Mark Ruffalo's reaction, right? Where he's like, ha, ah, yeah. you guys are so screwed now. <laughs> and I'm kind of with him at that point going, yeah, Thor... Like this, at this point, I feel like it's Thor's movie and Thor is going to turn the, the tide. And he does. I mean, he, he takes out a whole ton of those outriders. Like he really cleans the floor. But then once, once Thanos arrives, it's a different ball game. But I'll be honest, like I wasn't entirely sure that he was going to get all six stones. I mean, yeah. I, I have to be honest. I wasn't sure that he was going to get it. And, you know, once... Wanda does destroy the stone. I go, ah, okay, but Thanos does have the time stone. Is and then of course it just unfolds from there, and he winds back just you know just moments sooner, and game over. So I, I thought it re- worked really well. Uh, but what, again, there's a, a, a little my brain just just produced this little tangent, a marketing misdirect again from the trailer. Yep, where you see a, like the the Avengers kind of running as a group. The Hulk was a part of that group. He wasn't in the Hulkbuster armor in that scene. I think you actually do see the the Hulkbuster suit, but Hulk is also there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in so, the trailer. So something, and it's just been coming out in the last couple day or, day or two, is that they've clearly changed something at the end of this film in the reshoots. A couple times. Yeah, because there's <clears throat> that scene which could have been marketing with the Hulk in it, but there's a pop and a toy that came out recently. That has the Hulk busting out of the Hulkbuster armor. 
Oh. Like him actually like hulking out and coming out of the armor. Really? Okay. Um. So it looks like for whatever reason, now if you look at the the only gripe I have about the CG is that the end scene when when Thanos f- is the the Hulkbuster in the background there with Ruffle looking down. Horrible. It it looks very out of place. Like they Horrible. threw that in last minute. It's really bad. I noticed it the second time. Yeah. And it's an eyesore. Yeah. They. Oh. It looks like they covered up Hulk or something. So yeah. I think Hulk was meant to make an appearance in this film but for whatever reason the direction of it they've decided to leave that to later on in avengers infinity war part two Mm -hmm. well there's two counts too because the cat footage we see of him holding thanos's uh, gauntlet it's a different shot so we see the same kind of scene but it's a different shot yeah it's held differently it's held and i think the glove is a little bit different so i thought that's kind of i only noticed that the second time so so they changed a couple things at the the end uh fight scene but the yeah. hulk the hulk cg is what really got me at the end there, yeah it looks really good. bad it, it looks like he's just like photoshopped in the armor and yeah. it's like awkward because everybody else is like in sync with each other and banner mark ruffalo is just kind of floating he's just kind of floating with his it's head down really weird yeah I, I don't know if you caught that in your first viewing kyle <laughs> i did notice some weird things like there was, there was that one point where uh hulk does come out for a second yeah and he just says no when he goes away again. i'm like that shot looked really bad yeah yeah yeah, some of that looked like it was made up at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that's that's the like that you can tell they put that in. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if they like erased out Hulk and put in the Hulk, because it's it's just Ruffalo with his head stay, <laughs> and they've just he's he always looked kind of funny in the Hulkbuster suit. Yeah, when the head pops off. But yeah, that was weird. It's bad. Yeah, so they, mm-hmm. they've definitely changed the direction of the Hulk's character mm-hmm. towards the end of this film. But that doesn't change how this film ends. Is no. we've got Thor making. His final appearance here, stabbing Thanos. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, they're doing it. They're going to kill Thanos here. He's got the stones. This is how it's going to end. But then he kind of mumbles, you should have went for the head. And then, unbelievable. The whole audience was silent at this point. This was a massive risk on the part of Marvel and the Russo brothers to actually go that one step. And... We talked about this last week. We've talked about it in the past. Are they going to go to killing half the universe, taking that inspiration from the Infinity Gauntlet? And they went there. And just looking at the deaths. So prior to this, we had Loki, Heimdall, and Gamora die. But we have Barnes, Bucky Barnes, Drax, Groot, Mantis, Wanda, Quill, Strange, Chala, Wilson, and Peter Parker, the most gut-wrenching death of them all. They all die. And surviving is Nebula and Stark on Titan, Banner and Baku, the head of Dora Milaje, Rhodes, Rocket, Steve Rogers, Romanoff, and Thor. So you've got basically the core Avengers plus a few extras. But you've got half All the, the Guardians. All of them. Except and, Rocket. Yeah. And the half the universe. Fury's In, gone too. Fury, yeah. yeah. Maria Hill we find yeah. out later. So I, I, kind of wrapping all this up, coming to this last major scene... Are you guys surprised they went there? And what are your overall thoughts about the execution of this major cliffhanger? It's rough to watch, man. It really is. I mean, you see Thor coming in for a landing right on on Thanos and he he gets him. And you're like, holy cow. Like Thanos is down and he's wounded and he's hurt badly. And you have Thor looking him in the eye saying, I told you I'd kill you. And you're just about ready to stand up and start clapping for Thor. Like, my man is just taking out Thanos when nobody else could lay a finger on him. And then he says, you should have went for the head. Oh, and he snaps the finger. And you just go, oh, no. 
Oh no! Yeah. And then, oh like, God, as Steve Rogers says. Yeah. And then, who, who's? I think is it Bucky, the first one to yeah. to yeah. go. Bucky. Yeah. He just, he, he just looks at Steve and goes, Steve, and he's like super confused, and he starts like turning to ash, and you're like, oh my God, what is happening? And then one after the other, after another, after another, the heroes just start fading away, and then it gets to to Peter Parker, and it's it's just gut wrenching. Yeah. For as much as this kid makes you laugh and cheer earlier in the film, this just makes you want to burst into tears. Like he's just, you you can tell, and it's a credit to Tom Holland. He's a, he's just a boy, mm-hmm. and he's he's a scared boy, and he's he's watching his body disintegrate, and it's it's just, it's it's tough, man. It's this is the lowest of the low in this movie. Yeah, and and Robert Downey Jr.'s performance reacting to it. Yeah. Oh, man, unbelievable. Troy, oh, cliffhanger man. ending, the death of the heroes. Crazy. My heart was jumping out of my chest. This was this was nuts. Yeah, Kyle, I'm right there with you. When you see Bucky first come out, and he's like, Steve, you know, and he, and he fades. And uh, my, my heart's racing. I'm like, this is crazy. This is ballsy. What are they doing? They're doing it. And then you see one by one, you see... Um, T'Challa. Yes. And that's when I was like, oh, like I was, I was in the moment. I was completely in the moment. And then they did that. And I was like, oh, now that I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it at that point because we obviously know Black Panther's getting his movie. And obviously Spidey's getting his movie. And um, I'm still in the moment, but I'm just a little taken back because I'm like, when it's all said and done, like, okay, we got the core Avengers. They've saved the day in two films already. I really want to see them go another route where it's like we're going to get the new Avengers to save the day in the next film. But obviously the story is bigger than whatever the heck I'm thinking. And it's, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But I was really kind of – I like the risks that they went. And I thought they are going to go one step forward and out with the old and with the new kind yeah. of thing. But, um, yeah, when they got to Spidey, obviously my, I was just like, oh, no, he's done. Because everybody else is going. I'm like, okay, there's still hope for the kid. There's there's Doctor Strange, there's Spidey, and there's uh there's Iron Man, and then he's like, I don't feel so good, yeah. and I was like, oh no, and his his skin's going, his suit's going, and the look on Robert Downey's face, like you mentioned, it just it just captures it all. You know, I, I'm looking at Robert Downey Jr. And I'm thinking, man, like what am I gonna say to May? You know, how am I gonna break the news to yeah. May? Um, it was it was just crazy, man. Hit me right in the gut, and uh, wow, it was so well executed. But like I said, I just I just wish we we switched it up a little bit. And, and got rid of some of the old Avengers and, and kept the Doctor Strange and kept yeah. Spidey and kept T'Challa. But so, so my only oof. thing, and I'll say to that, to try to make you feel a bit better. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> is that, and I alluded to this earlier, described a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. This this whole theme of sacrifice. Yeah, it's going to take those Avengers to get the others back. You think that many Avengers? Are gonna I go? think you're going to lose three or four of them. Ooh. And Ooh. it's going to take their sacrifice, right. their trading of a life mm-hmm. to get back to T'Challa, Spider-Man, Strange. Right. So your new Avengers are going to emerge at the cost of the original, the original. Avengers or a right. good chunk of them. Right. And so I think that's that's where you're going to really feel that aspect mm-hmm. of it is in the next film. I, I like that they, they went and said, okay, we're going to wipe out the, the new crew. Yeah. And in my head, I've built this canon or this idea that this is what's going to happen. So right. I'm preparing myself for that. And I like that story decision. I yes. like that direction that they're going, that this theme that they've built into this and this quote that we hear numerous times about trading lives, it's going to matter later on. Yeah. So that, that's kind of how I took that away. And, and I love it. You know, I love it. Like, I don't want to go into a movie ever really. And I'm like, ha, I called everything. I knew, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I want to guess and, and I don't want to throw any shade at, at last Jedi, but this, <laughs> but this worked for me. Like this kept me on my heels. Like I had no idea what was going to happen and it delivered on so many levels. And 
ah oh, man, this that ending was great. The whole audience was just silent. Yeah. Everybody was like, Dead "What silent. just happened?" You yeah. know, it, ah, it was crazy. And then going to crazy. Thanos sitting and oh. watching the sunset and him taking that breath, letting it out, and then black. Like everyone was like, like everyone was pausing, waiting for it to come back. Yeah. And then the credits roll. Well, and that's the other thing because the, the sound design, the score in this film too, we got to touch on because this end sequence that we get with like the, the when they disintegrate, the yeah. dust, that in and out kind of music, that whistle yeah. is fantastic. And then like you mentioned, when we get Thanos and, and he's rising and he's he's on his farm, um, the score is actually called Porch. It's actually called Porch, which is kind of funny because it's like it's farmer yeah. Thanos. And I love that score so much. It's so nice. It's that hero's journey is complete. He's one. It's it's Luke looking at the two sons yeah. on Tatooine. It's so fantastic what they did. And man, this movie. Ah, incredible. Kyle, comments I, I was, on I was, the cliffhanger. I was just about to say that. I guess <laughs> in a slightly different way, but... The way you see Thanos just sitting there, yeah, he's sitting on on a simple little porch, mm-hmm. like he's not sitting on a throne. He's not yes. getting millions of people worshiping mm. him. He was very serious when he just said, "I go back and I sit back and like enjoy the spoils of a balanced universe." Like he's not. There's no glory here for him. Nope. It was for him. This was doing the right thing, and to see him like staring off into the sunset, like like Troy had said, this is Luke's like staring off. I'll, I'll say like at the at the end of the Last Jedi, where he's staring off at, into the twin suns after accomplishing you know, the feat of saving the rebellion. Yes, it's that it's a hero moment. Like if this was anybody but Thanos, you would say like, "Job well done. Yeah. You, yeah, you exactly. accomplished your goal." That that is a hero moment mm-hmm. being handed to a villain. And I don't know. Obviously, I know what to think. Like he's still a terrible person. He's just wiped out half of life in the galaxy. You can't do that. That's wrong, Thanos. <laughs> but but it, it leaves you I, – I think it's intended to leave us in a bit of a state of conflict. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. And it, it, it works. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of the best endings. Absolutely. One of the bravest endings. And, yeah, some of it is a bit on the head with the characters or who, who dies in yeah. particular. But – man like to me the big thing is when he takes the breath and then it goes black like it's just like this it's like it's that feeling that everyone is chasing about just they want to have this relaxation in their life and he gets that and i I think your point too kyle about him not being on a throne Mm -hmm. that direction really matters it's not about the mustache twirling i want to rule the galaxy Mm -hmm. the universe is mine which you get a lot of in thanos in the comic books this is a different take. And I, I think this really, really balances the movie and gives it a really fitting ending. I, I This is incredible how they ended this film. Yeah. I, it's like, this must have been somewhat how people felt when they left Empire. I mean, like, when's the last time you really got to see a film like this that ended on a note where, like, the, the, the heroes all lose? Yeah. You know, and, and, that's, and the way the score ends, and like you mentioned, it just drops. It's done. And that's it. And you walk away and you're like, what did I just take in? Yeah. Thanos won. Oh, it's crazy. Well, and too, because some people were saying, oh, it, like, and this was, goes back to that one reviewer from, I think it was The New Yorker, that said, like, the movie just kind of is an ad. An for, ad? Like, an, a big ad for all the other films that came before oh. and for the next film. Th- this movie ends in a way, it's a big cliffhanger, but the the pseudo hero, whatever you want to call Thanos, mm-hmm. like, his arc, his story's done yeah. in this film. Yeah. It, it finishes. You know, our hero story is, is left somewhat ambiguous, but... The main character of this film 
he goes through that hero's journey and he like from a certain point of view yeah like his his story's done yeah and so i wouldn't even be surprised if infinity war part two picks up and we don't see thanos until halfway through the movie right because they're trying to reverse or do whatever they have to do this this character story is done in this movie so this is a complete movie in the sense that it's not teasing what's coming from his perspective from the main character's perspective it's left a lot of threads dangling but the, the main character gets a close to his story so it's there for me all in all this leads us to one last one last discussion piece this post-credit sequence so we get this this nice scene with nick fury and maria hill and you're starting to see the effects of, of Thanos' work on Earth with the disintegration of people. You're seeing the helicopter crash. They make reference to Wakanda. And both of them end up dying or disintegrating. And just before that, and before they all mother... <laughs> which <Yeah>. I love, <laughs> um, we get a nice pager text message or whatever you want to call it to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So this is the Captain Marvel tease that we were expecting but not we were, I think, more expecting her mm-hmm. and less of that. But I, I'm glad that they've led us into that. It's a great post-credit sequence. Only got the one. Um, but again, it, it kind of sees the idea that we have a movie coming and that she's going to be a big part of part two. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with that. You guys happy with the, the post-credit sequence? I'm thrilled with it. Absolutely thrilled. Yeah. Tim, you and I spoke about Captain Marvel and how she would fold into this somehow. Some way she had to be a part of this. And I don't I don't remember what officially has happened anymore. Did Brie Larson comment or not? Is it? Yeah, no fake news, so to speak. I don't remember anymore. But when Nick Nick Cage, Nick Nick Cage, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Luke Cage and Nick Fury. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, it's getting late. Nick man. Fury pulls out uh, the the pager, and I'm like, a, a pager? What's up with that? And then he disappears, and it it falls to the floor, and it's sending, sending, sending. I'm not connecting the dots yet until that little. 8-bit logo popped up on the pager screen. And at that point, I needed to go lie down for a while. (laughs) I just... Like, what happened there? Like, I spent the drive home thinking about just that. Yeah. Like, what is going to happen? Like, obviously, she's going to be key to not only Phase 4, but to specifically to the next movie. And I'm thinking about her film and how it ends. I think that pager is not only just calling her wherever she is, I think it's calling her when she is. I think oh. that call is going through time somehow. That's why it has all those little doodads and doohickeys. That's not a standard pager. It's wow. outfitted with other stuff. Interesting. I think that pager is calling through time. And I think in her movie, whether it's at the end of the movie or in the, that film's post-credit sequence, we'll see Brie Larson as Captain Marvel talking with Nick Fury and her pager will go off. And she'll look oh. at it, and Sam Jackman will look at it and go, who's that? And she goes, it's you. And the movie will end at, like that. Oh, shoot. Kyle, you just blew my mind. Yes. <laughs> Holy well, smokes, I, I almost drove man. into a phone pole trying to like <laughs> keep keep it on the road and thinking about this at home. And it, it, it's, it's a call from the past, and I don't know how that's all going to work. But it's gonna work. Wow, and it's that gonna makes make total sense. sense. That makes sense too because we're gonna see her like young, like she's not gonna be aged. Like the movie takes place in the nineties, yeah, right. So she'd be a lot older. But that's why we'd see her at the age that she'd be in the nineties. With that theory that you just threw on us, wow. that's huge. That's incredible. Like the way I took it was that they just went for a nineties reference with a pager, mm-hmm. and that's how that's what they built 
back then, but I love this idea of it being more time travel. Wow. And then her being with Fury when she gets that. Like, that, how cool would that be? And it's crazy because they just released uh, set footage of a young Nick Fury yeah. and her too. So, oh, man. And we get the Quantum Realms being introduced in a big way in right. Ant-Man and the Wasp again. From That's, oh. Wow, Kyle, you just blew my mind. So do you guys think, um, <laughs> with because you're obviously really familiar with Infinity War, uh, or the Infinity Gauntlet comic, they don't remember anybody that disintegrated, right? In the comics, I don't think they remember that they're gone. Um, I don't remember. I started rereading it last right, night, actually. Right, right. I, I, I thought they didn't remember. So I was, doing, I was going to ask if you think they're going to remember everybody that's disappeared. Like, are we going to pick up right where we left? Or is it going to be like some times passed and everyone's just kind of moved on with their lives and one person's going to remember? Like, what do you think... I don't know. That, that's a good thing, and that that's that's a huge conversation for an Avengers four, yeah. Infinity War part two. But yeah. I I think there's going to be a bit of a time jump. Yeah. This comes back to some of my theory that I thought at the end that we're going to see kind of like more of a a destructed world and kind of a resistance. I don't think we're going to go there anymore. Right. But I think we're going to do a time jump where they're trying to figure out how to solve the problem right. at hand. So I don't think they're going to forget anyone. Right. I think it's going to be more. We need Captain Marvel. We need Ant Man. We need the Quantum Realm. We need maybe even some time travel stuff. Yeah, which is why I think Kyle's theory here really factors in really crazy. well into some more time travel and within the MCU. Not so much to fix things, but to I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it somehow. Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys, we, we we've been talking for this is a behemoth of a podcast, probably <laughs> our longest ever. But I think to get everything we need to say of this huge movie. Um, I think it was necessary. But one thing I got to ask before we take off here, something we always ask at the end of reviews, do you guys recommend Avengers Infinity War? Kyle? Uh, if it's not obvious, it's, it's <laughs> you, go see it. Go see this movie, please. Do yourself a favor. Do the world a favor. Get your ass into that cinema and watch Infinity War. Yeah. Troy? <laughs> yes, yes, I absolutely recommend. Go see this film. Go see this film three times. I'm going to go see this movie again tomorrow for the third time because this is... This is just history in the making right now, man. This yep. is unbelievable. So yeah, completely recommend this. This is a, this is the best comic book film of all time. I'm saying it right now. Not my favorite, but it's the best. Yeah. It's the best. Love yeah, it. Yeah, I like both your thoughts. 100% recommend. I put that stake in the ground that this is the best comic book movie of all time. I'm sticking by that after this review, after having two viewings. This will be the first movie I've ever gone and seen three times. Ooh, you check def- it out. I'm definitely going to see it a third time nice. sometime during this week or before solo comes out for sure or even deadpool so all in all kyle wanted to thank you very much for sitting in on this review it's been an absolute pleasure having you here oh thanks man i I, anytime like i said anytime you guys want to have me on i will be here it's it's a pleasure to come hang out in the nerd room yes and why don't you let everyone know where they can find all of your excellent work uh well thank you I, i you can find me anywhere uh facebook on on twitter on instagram at tumbling saber you can Definitely connect with me there. I'd love to hang out and chat with you. And uh, you can also find me at uh, – go to the StarWarsCommonwealth.com website. You, we have the Tumbling Saber page there. You can find our work, our podcasts. And uh, yeah, that's – I mean obviously Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all those places. That's where you can find us. Yes, and I will strongly recommend – going out and becoming a part of the Tumbling Saber Patreon, the powerful friends. You guys do draws, you do exclusive podcasts. Sith the Servers, which is one of your exclusive podcasts, one of my favorite podcasts out there. It's my Friday afternoon podcast, getting me into the weekend. You guys are always doing amazing stuff, stepping up your game between Journals of the Willing, Sith the Servers, your main show, uh, worthy of recognition. Troy and I were on that a few months ago. 
all incredible stuff. So make sure you go check out everything that Kyle and the crew over at Tumbling Saber are doing and do that right now. And if you would like to be a part of this show, you can always email us at thenerdram at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook or YouTube. You can grab us at thenerdroom.net. Just click contacts. And you can always grab us on Twitter or handles at the end of the show. Again, Kyle, thank you very much for coming on here and filling Sanjay's seat. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been it's a, a ton of fun. Boys. I can't wait to continue to theorize. We're going to have to have you back for Avengers Infinity War Part 2 discussion, maybe throwing out some theories sometime down the road. And one thing that both of our casts did tease was the potential for a crossover. So look out for that, dropping into the feed sometime soon. It may be a bit more collecting-centric. We'll see. We're going to leave that tease there, but look for that coming in the near future. And coming down the pipe for the Nerd Room next week, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer, the Calgary Expo, May the 4th, potential toy releases, free comic book day this Saturday. So we've got a ton to talk about next week. So come back, tune into the Nerd Room. Hopefully Sanjay is back in the seat and we can kind of catch up with him as well. But until then, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Kyle. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sunjabby. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.